Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to our Hannibal Lecter retrospective series. Today we are reviewing The Silence of the Lambs. I am your host, Corbin. I am Alan. And we are doing this together today. Yes, we are. That's very exciting. Normally, we are doing this... Well, I don't know how far away you are. Oh, it's about 650 miles or so. Okay, there we go. We normally do the show about 650 miles apart. We're both college students. We go to school uh, very far apart from each other. We're both in different states, but Alan's visiting for the weekend, so we're very excited to be doing this review together. Came back just for the weekend. Drove 10 hours just to do this review with me. <laughs> exactly. That's it. <laughs> so, but we're very excited to yes. be discussing a phenomenal film and oh, a very, could we call it kind of controversial maybe just because of its dis- I would say yes. disturbing themes yet how many Oscars it won? I would say yes. De- I would say it's definitely a um, controversial film. But at the same time, very influential. Yes, it, it has been very influential, especially on crime dramas and oh, yeah. things of that sort. Oh, yeah. So, and, and this film is directed by Jonathan Demme. Um, this may just really be his claim to fame. I don't think he's really done anything. A one-hit wonder. Yeah, he's, a, he's essentially a one-hit wonder. And I feel like so far on Silver Screen Guide, we've had a lot of those. Yeah. Minus the wonder. <laughs> but this also this the silence of the lambs is based off of the novel by thomas harris the screenplay is written by ted talley starring jodie foster anthony hopkins scott glenn ted levine and surprisingly george a romero the creator of the night of the living dead the cult classic that has spawned countless sequels the living dead franchise is huge he's become uh, one of the masters of horror, low-budget horror. He is uncredited, and I'll be honest, I didn't see, I didn't recognize him in this movie. He plays FBI agent in Memphis, which I'm assuming that would be in the hangar scene. I would say yeah, because mm-hmm. I think because I know that's when they leave Baltimore. Well, I'm I'm really intrigued to go back to that scene now. And yeah. look for him because there's not very many people in that hangar so he can't be that hard to spot and we just accidentally found him too we were just looking at the cast and crew on the imdb page and he was like the bottom one on the list of actors it's really bizarre it's very odd and the music is done by howard shore who has won three oscars and he did all the music for the lord of the rings trilogy that's incredibly famous, a musical score, very well known, and he at least did the first Hobbit movie. I didn't check to see if he did the rest. Yeah. And I want to give a shout out to the cinematographer. We haven't really done that before. Uh, he deserves is... a shout out. He does. Tak Fujimoto, who has done The Sixth Sense, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and Signs. She's done two Shyamalan films, two M. Night Shyamalan films, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's it's. It seems odd. Uh, it's always funny when you get people working in films that are like lighthearted fun and then dark creepy but that's a testament to how well they are their craft right doing that so this film has a very high rating on imdb it holds an 8.6 out of 10 and it is the 23rd spot on the top 250 
rated films, best films of all time on the IMDb list. That's a pretty acclaimed spot. Yeah. Uh, that's... Shawshank Redemption is number one. Right. Followed by, I believe it's the two Godfather films and yes. then Dark Knight. Yeah, that's, that's high, though. Week 23, that's, like a, that's a solid spot. You, you're not yeah. really going to be going anywhere anywhere fast. Exactly. That's a very solid spot. And it rightly so. This film won five Academy Awards, and it is yeah. one of only three films to have won in the big five categories. Right. Best picture, best actor in a leading role, Anthony Hopkins, best actress in a leading role, What's her name? Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, yes. (laughs) Best director and best writing. It was also nominated for two more Oscars, putting this film at seven nominations, five wins. It was nominated for best sound and best film editing. We'll get into at least the best film editing part because that does need to be talked about. Should it? It's because remember remember what I mentioned? No, no, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm wondering, should it have been, should we have got an Oscar nomination for like lighting or something? Maybe. That would have been cool, too. I really thought the lighting was incredibly well done. The box office for this movie is quite impressive. It had a budget of $19 million. It Domestically, it grossed $130 million here in the States. The foreign market, $142 for a worldwide total of $272 million. That's great. That's some great moolah. Yeah, especially for a $19 million budget. Yeah. And considering its predecessor, Manhunter, did poorly we would say or just subpar at the box office yeah this was number one at the box office for five weeks in a row which doesn't happen all that often unless you're star wars or jurassic park or yeah something. you have to be either a very well-known film or a very good film to have that rating and it's a rated r film too which is also surprising that is because yeah normally rated r films don't hold that high of a place unless you're deadpool right. which has become or The Passion of the Christ or something, which those are... Passion of the Christ makes sense. Deadpool was... Uh, I would say it also makes sense because it's a it's a Marvel film that they did terrible when they first did him in X-Men Origins Wolverine. Yes, yes. And the only, the only reason this wasn't number one uh, for week six is because for whatever weird reason, all the... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fans came out to support the sequel to yeah. the first film. I mean, the first film was pretty popular, too, but I can see why it pushed uh, Silence of the Lambs number two when it first came out its opening weekend. Yeah, it's just so funny to like look back on it, though, because this film is so huge. Yeah. And it, it was critically acclaimed then. It's still critically acclaimed now. Can't say the same for Teenage Mutant yeah. Ninja Turtles yeah. 2. Nobody can. Yeah. I'm ready to get into the movie. Yeah, I am, yeah. too. Okay. Let's go. Let's do it. If you listen to our previous podcast, Manhunter, which you should go back and listen to that, I praised the opening credit sequence. I thought that was well done. It was yeah. very odd. It was somewhat unsettling, yet yet still in, kind of inviting with that odd, odd blue background. Oh, yeah. But this is a different approach. We open up in the woods, and the credits are black. Yeah, black with a white outline. It's creepy, but cool. It yeah. really works. So, and we open up with Howard Shore's awesome score, which yes. just completely sets the mood and the tone for yes. this film. And I would say for my personal rating, I do like Manhunters a bit more because it it definitely gives you in the mind of the of the of the killer 
right off the bat. Yeah. That's the first thing you see is that you're inside the viewpoint of the killer. Whereas this one, it's starting off with Jodie Foster running and doing training in the forest. Mm, yes. But this film is more focused on her character rather than just Buffalo Bill's character in the last one. I'll, I'll dispute you a little. I okay. We got the odd Super 8, 16 millimeter, whatever footage. Very creepy. Creeped, creeped you out big time. Yeah. This doesn't. Um, and then we get Will Graham talking with Jack Crawford. Yeah. Who's in this movie. The character Jack Crawford is in this, except he is played by Scott Glenn, a different guy. But something I really do like is this has a female protagonist. Yes. Which I don't feel is all that common. Especially back then. for Yeah, for a powerful female protagonist that right. can hold her own. Right. And she's exactly. young. Exactly. And I do feel like that definitely is put into play in the film, mm-hmm. her being a woman. Yes, like very blatantly so. Yes. Almost, I don't know, I don't want to say it's called too much attention to or it's overplayed too much. I don't know. I'm not a woman and I'm yeah. not an FBI <laughs> we're not, agent. We're not and women I'm, and we don't have any experience with the FBI, so... Especially, especially in a male, like a normally, especially for back then and even before a male dominated profession of police officers, of law enforcement, of all around. It's mostly been male dominated up until the present day. Right. So it's, it's a very cool dynamic. It's it's, very interesting. A very interesting dynamic to have a woman at the lead role. Yes. Oh, and something else I wanted to say about this opening music is it kind of reminds me of like a, like a snake charmer's music. Yeah, in a way, yeah, which is kind of creepy because it's like kind of like spellbinding the Mm -hmm. audience, and we really do get that spellbinding feel with Hannibal Lecter. Just different sequences throughout the movie; they're just it's almost like hypnotic, yeah, in a way. It's it's very it's eerie, but it's it's yeah entrancing. Yeah, I'll say I'm going to say this though. As much as I do like Manhunter's opening better, I think this one sets the mood. In a place that the film rides for the entire time. Yeah. Manhunter, it kind of goes in and out between that creepy feel, you know? Whereas yeah. Sons of the Lambs kind of keeps that same tone throughout the entire film. And they and they do that really well because yeah. they do a great job of shifting back and forth between pivotal characters. Right. Whereas Manhunter was very one-sided yeah it was it it was will graham for the entire first half of the movie and then and then we got quite a bit of tooth fairy in the other half like it's like part one part two like a weird teeter-totter right and this one this one introduces buffalo bill a lot earlier than the tooth fairy in the last one it does and i'm glad about that yeah so i want to talk about the cinematography Ah, well more so specifically because we get this right away once she meets Jack Crawford in his office. I want to talk about the close-ups, the yes. use of close-ups. Very evident. They use so much in this movie. Quite a bit, yes. Yeah. So I want, what do you, how did that make you feel though? It's kind of odd to say because we definitely get to see that this movie is trying to be a little bit more personal towards audience. Mm, yes. So it's getting really close to our actor or I guess both actor and actresses that are in the film. Mm -hmm. And especially when we get to like the dialogue between Hannibal Lecter and Jodie Foster, or I guess I should say um, Agent Sterling, they use that close up very well. And we'll get there because I have something to say about that first scene with them together and really adjacent scenes afterwards with them together. But they, I feel like the 
when they use the close-ups in the close-ups in this film, it definitely gives it a little bit more of an eerie vibe because it wrote really close on those actors and actresses that like, grew really close. Like their faces take up the entire frame, and it's like unusually close. It's just, it's, I, this I think it's called a like a super close-up in the cinematic terms. So it's it's really interesting that they use that dynamic to like make things a bit more unsettling. In the opening scene, it's it is I wouldn't say it's as jarring as later on. But it definitely kind of leads the audience in to what's going to happen later. It, it is a very unusual way of framing the subject. Yeah. And it's used to the point of, I feel, it's almost first person, I would say. As if we're... Like seeing the actor as looking at the person they're talking right, to. Right, we're put in the... Whoever's being talked to, we're like kind of put in their shoes. Yeah. And it does kind of make me feel uncomfortable and I believe that's kind of what they're going for. Oh, yeah. Because especially for um, Agent Clary Starling, she's still in training. And she's in a whole new world. And she's going to be plunged into a very dark world, especially for an unseasoned trainee who's mm-hmm. like never encountered anything like this before. So I think that's a Tak Fujimoto and Demi, the director, do a great job of putting the audience in that position of feeling uncomfortable, almost a first-person position, like you're living this. It's unusual, but effective. Yeah, and I would say that I feel like this movie forces its uncomfortableness on the audience. And it does that for a reason. Because later on the film, when Agent Starling is like starting to uncover this case and stuff, and things are kind of getting deeper and deeper, and they're getting crazier and crazier, we definitely feel that it's getting a bit more personal, you know, and things are getting like really uncomfortable and the film is a, this is a very uncomfortable film just in general yeah. as it is. Yeah. So having that dynamic of being super close on the, on the uh, subjects, that definitely works here. Definitely works here. Yeah. And I got to say, as you know, we touched on Agent Sterling. I really like that we have not only just a female actor, but just the, the position that she's in right now. She's a brand new FBI agent. Like she's going in training and she's really early in training and she's just put on this case, you know. Yes. And I like that they, they, the FBI agents are even smart enough, too, to realize that Hannibal Lecter is too smart. So they just get a trainee to basically get the information for them. That's really, yeah, that's cool. And I didn't think about that yeah. until it was kind of called, well, it was called to my attention. But, yeah, that's that's really uh, interesting choice how they use that. And that is, this is the exact opposite of what Manhunter did. Manhunter took a seasoned retired mind you fbi veteran right who is so good that he can just profile people where clary's throughout this we see her like profiling and kind of getting into the psyche a little bit and practicing at it and i think jodie foster really pulls that off yes of like she's trying she's not fully sure of herself she's kind of connecting the dots as a young trainee would Right. And I really think she expresses that and, and pulls that off. So I, I was impressed. Right. And I mentioned in the Manhunter review that I do really like, a bit better in this one, that I do really like the relationship between our main actor who's doing the investigation and Hannibal Lecter. Yes. I really like that dynamic that there is a relationship between them and that they have a past together. And he does not, by any circumstance of the word, want to go back and talk to Hannibal Lecter. But he has to. He's basically forced to because of this case. And I really like that. In this one, it takes a different approach in Silence of the Lambs because 
Jodie Foster has no past with Hannibal Lecter. She has never met him, you know. So when she goes there, they've developed this relationship over the the course of the movie, you mm-hmm. know, and he kind of gets in their head and we'll get into that later. But I'm going to say it for my own personal thoughts. I think I liked Manhunter's approach a bit better because mm-hmm. we get we we get this past that's there, you know, and we got to the audience gets to think about, OK, what really happened in the past with them, you know, and it kind of kind of explains it, but not fully explains it. And we get and as we like learn more about Hannibal Lecter, that thought of, OK, what really happened is like making us imagine, like, what could he have done to yeah. screw up this main character, you know, right. whereas in this one, it's more of them building the relationship. Yes. And we do kind of get this hint at what we saw in Manhunter because Crawford says you don't want Lecter in your head. Yes. And that is exactly what happened to Will Graham, who got Lecter in his head, which caused him to go to a mental hospital. Yeah. And yeah. that's why he couldn't go back and see him. He just, he did, but it was so hard for him to do it. Yeah. And, and, and more than one time in the first scene mm-hmm. with him together, he wanted to leave. Like he, what, like I think one or two times he got up to get, like to leave the room. Yeah. Because it was just too much for him. And so, yeah, I, I agree. It's, I like, I like this dynamic um, yes. in, uh, Manhunter. And I will say, though, for those of you who listen, you'll know I'm not the biggest fan. Alan liked Manhunter a little more than me. And I'm sure Alan will agree with me on this. I do like watching their relationship build in this film. I do too, yes. I very much like it. And it's done very well. Oh, yeah. Very well. It's very, very natural. It's not forced at all. And I'm going to attribute that to Anthony Hopkins, who. Oh, Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, just brilliant. But but we're not quite there yet. We're, We're nearly there. But speaking of creepy figures, the director or the head of that um, prison where Lecter is, Chilton, yes. he's a freaky dude. He is a freaky dude. He's a creepo. Weird. Yeah, he's like hitting on he's, her right away, wants yeah. to go out with her. He's got funky hair. Yeah. He is a fruit fruit basket. Yeah, and he's a fruit cake. <laughs> which is funny because the Chilton and Manhunter, we didn't get much of him. Yeah. But he's like a complete professional, and this guy's like a power egomaniac. Yeah. And getting to this point in the film, the whole movie in general, the movie just flows so well. It does, and it, it jumps right in. It has great pacing. It gives us the information that we need to know for the time, and it just throws us right into the story. Yes, and the situations they all go through builds the characters. Right. And it's like how Clarice's character is built depends on how... Lecter's character is built right if that makes sense they kind of like feed and play off of each other because as she matures he kind of like guides her yeah there's this mutual respect between them even though you know Hannah Lecter is only giving her information and she's doing all the work essentially yeah Yeah. I I get you mean and I really want to I really liked the build-up to Lecter yes because Crawford is talking him up he's like you're going to go psyche val this guy. He is so hard to psyche val, but I think I think you can do it. I want you to try. Chilton's building them up. He's showing Clarice disturbing pictures of what Lecter's done. We don't see it. Yes, which I is like good. that. I like yes, that. Because that just scares the audience even more like, oh my gosh, who is this crazy maniac? Right. You know? Right. And it's a completely different character from uh, Brian Cox's character in the previous film. A very different take. So, and I really like that, how we we just get these really eerie moments and build up 
Yes. And he's and Chilton says Lecter's pulse never got above eighty five when he ate her tongue. Yeah. Speaking of this nurse or something that he got a hold of. We're just dealing with one of the scariest yet collected serial killers. Yeah. Ever. And they build him up very well, I think. Because they don't give too much information away. They're kind of just explaining this is what he, he can do. Yes. Right? And knowing that our main character is very inexperienced in her field as of right now, mm-hmm. it makes it all the more like intense. Because we haven't, first off, at the moment we hadn't seen Hannibal Lecter yet. And they're already building up, building him up to be a maniac. Yeah. And it's crazy to think about that and scary because we know basically just as much as Jodie Foster knows. And it also makes it even more intriguing that she is so inexperienced. Yes, it does. She is she has all classroom knowledge, which Crawford says, You were great in the classroom, that's why I'm picking you. But Lecter is like so beyond the classroom. Yeah. It's creepy when she is getting ready to descend underground he lector is in an underground stone dungeon like prison it looks like they're going into a dungeon like where you would keep a dragon or something yeah creature yeah yeah this this upcoming scene is so good Mm -hmm. the reveal of hannibal lector freaks me out every time it it it, it does it's chilling because it's he is expecting her. He yes. is standing there expecting her. And okay, when she's like when the when the camera pans next, like by the wall, and you get to his cell, he's following the camera lens, like as it's moving. Oh yeah. I noticed that when I was watching this oh, time. Wow. I was like, ugh. It's yeah. so freaky to think about because it's like like you said, it's he's expecting her, you know. Yeah. And there's already a chair there waiting for her to sit down in, you know. So yeah. he I mean he has he has prior knowledge that she's gonna be there, but when you see it, it's so chilling. And and it just gives you this sense that he is omniscient he is all-knowing yeah he just has such an aura and a presence about him he's smiling he looks so calm and you're like oh wait this guy is a cannibal yeah this guy is a serial killer he he looks so sophisticated and refined and his his like speech is so clean it's really shocking because they're building him up to be this just really scary guy and yet he just seems kind of like this calm gentler older type man you know yeah, definitely. And uh, I have in my notes, first close-up of Lecter is insanely amazing. It oh, is. It, it really is. It, it is. This Okay, this entire scene is so well done. Mm-hmm. Because I, w- I didn't notice it. Because I've seen this movie like one or two times before watching it now. Yeah, we've both like seen this past. a couple times. Yeah, this is, this is not a new film for both of us. Yeah. So I knew what I was going to get into and I went to go sit down and watch this film because I've seen it before. But when I watched this, after like seriously judging it, like with yes. um, with the reviewer eyes, eyes yeah. I never noticed the psychological battle that's happening in the background. Absolutely, I never noticed that. Like I knew there was something there that I was missing the, every time I watched this movie. But when I watched it this time, I got it. And I was like, I understand what's happening in this scene, even though it's never said at all what's happening. There's definitely a psychological battle that's happening between Hannibal Lecter. And, and Agent Sterling, and it's so good. And would you attribute that, like, a, not all of it, but a big majority of that to Hopkins' acting? Like I would say... His facial expressions, his playing off of her questions and whatnot. It's it's hard to say. It's, it's hard to pinpoint one thing that really sells the scene. I would say it's a mixture between his acting, the dialogue, and the cinematography. Yeah. Those are the three things that I feel like just make this scene because there's no music at all in the scene 
and it's just it's just I don't know it's just so good and the way they, the whole scene is just constructed is just so well done. Yes, and I would say this film isn't score heavy. Yeah, it really. Isn't. Uh, it's the score is used at pivotal moments, but yeah, and I think that's also what really lends to the character dynamics and interactions and relationships is there's no music. Yeah, it's it's just them and her innocence and his experience and how they're playing off of each other exactly there's just a lot more here than meets the eye yes and and even still i feel like it'll take me repeat viewings to just fully grasp and enjoy and just fully get into exactly exactly the dialogue and exchange because there's a really great chemistry and that's why they both won best actress and actor of the year that's why this film won so many Oscars, and that's why yeah. it won that. Like I said multiple times, this entire scene is so good. And I totally agree with you. There's so much more to this film than what I can pinpoint on just three viewings. And this is a film that I would say even benefits from multiple viewings because you get to oh, notice more yes. things. And you can, can now that you've seen the film before, you can think about things in the future that affect things that happened before in the film. Yeah, this is one of those films that completely rewards you on yes. complete on repeat viewings. And I wrote in my notes, she is constantly profiling Clarice. His opinion of her, his thoughts of her are constantly being adjusted. You can tell. Mm-hmm. He, he's almost machine-like in his calculation, Yeah, yet so personable. And I wrote in my notes, oh my gosh, I get chills while he is profiling her. Just so perfect. Yeah, and it's... Anthony Hopkins deserved this Oscar here. He, he really did. Yes. And we realize that Clarice breaks protocol yeah. by running right up to his cell. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because Hannibal is a man of principle, I guess you would say. Yeah. Because, the, and they said don't get close to his cell for her safety. Right, yeah. The last person he got close to, they said he ate her tongue or something. Mm-hmm. And I like how he does her a favor. Right. He he says, I don't appreciate discourtesy. Let me do this for you. He said, I would have that not happen to you. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not like the other ones. He's not like Miggs, you know, who's just this crazy, unruly person. He yeah. You can work with him. She works with him. Whereas the Lecter and Manhunter, you really couldn't work with him. Okay, I'll, I'll debate you on that. Unless um, you're Will Graham, who has trouble. Right. I feel like you can. Then again, the movie doesn't really show too much of Lecter than than compared to this one, I would say. Okay, yes, you can work with him, but you, we see him betray Graham. Yeah. He tries to get his family killed, whereas right. this guy, whereas, whereas this is something that I love about Hopkins' portrayal of Lecter. He is professional. Yes. I would say that he feels like someone who knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's one of the more scarier parts about him is that he knows how to handle people because that's his whole life is about. Yeah. Okay. We, we've clearly talked about the chemistry between these two leads, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, I think there is a, like a character chemistry between them. And oh, I yeah. do feel like there's this kind of attraction that develops later on. I just can't really pinpoint it though. I can't really put it into words and say, maybe after my 10th viewing or something, yeah. I can, I can talk better about it. Right. But like, what do you mean? Because I think I think I know what you're talking about. Well, I think there's this uh, romantic almost attraction that he develops for her, and okay, I'm not sure if it's like a father daughter relationship they have, 
or he just simply admires her or he is he's romantically inclined towards her see that's that's what i'm saying i don't know because i feel like it could be all three maybe right right well he says later on in the movie he's like people will think we're dating or something like right that. right okay, i get what you're saying i'm gonna say that i don't think it's more of a romantic relationship but more of just a friendship in general because because you think about it though because if she wants to get information from him so she obviously needs to be nice for him, you know, to accept that, you know, he will want to, that she will want to listen to him. But he's also, as we said earlier, he's also analyzing her. So he also needs to be nice to her. So I feel like that relationship develops as they're both trying to get information from each other. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, I don't think it's a romantic relationship. I definitely think it's a friendship that's there. I feel like maybe if it developed more as a, like if the film was like maybe an epic or something like it was really long and yeah. it kind of told the, a lot more story in the life of our main lead maybe there would have been something that developed there it was romantic but i don't think there was a romantic one here i think it's just a normal friendship yes and i i mean i'm not fully committed to saying there is any kind of romance right but it's just really hard to i feel put their relationship in a like clear-cut words this is what it is right you know just because i don't know lector is just such a hard character to decipher and how he treats certain people right you know it's very well done that's all i'm saying yeah (laughs) and it's very much i would say it is open to interpretation oh yeah it's definitely one that leaves you to think about it Mm -hmm. that's probably the biggest compliment i can give to this boy his performance really is in general is that the film will not come out and tell you things this one will definitely not come out and tell you things it yes. requires you to think when you watch it uh, yeah i'm glad i'm really glad yes for that. and it definitely needs to happen in this film because there's a lot of sophisticated things that happen in this movie not just story-wise but mainly character-wise that like we were talking like you know we're talking about Hannibal Lecter and agent sterling there is a relationship there but it's very complex and very interesting because we have a guy who's He's a psychologist. He's a guy who does psychological profiles on people, right? So it's always very interesting just to see how he works, you know, in the film. And then we also have Jodie Foster who's trying to talk to him to get a profile on Buffalo Bill so they can catch whoever Buffalo Bill is. So as I said before, you know, there's this relationship that builds between them. But having that relationship be there is a very complex relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not a normal one that people would just become friends because the movie is about a friendship. This is this is a movie about friendship, I would say, in some sense of the word. It's more about respect, I would say. Between the two parties that they're trying to get information from each other. Or at least one side knows what, what they want. But Jodie Foster, I feel, is part of the time she's like kind of absent minded that he's really doing a psychological profile on her. Yes. And so even though he's being nice and helping her and she's getting information back, there is that level of respect there. Yeah. And I, I would completely agree with that. And I would also say that I feel like he's also trying to keep her on her toes. Right. Like he's trying to test her. And and I feel like their relationship, he is changing it. And, and I guess that's maybe just a part of him testing her. He, he's going between friend or possibly like flirtation or ice cold like he's not even going to talk to her or he's giving her a towel to help her out like help her dry her hair from the rain i just feel like it's constantly kind of it's like 
like a wave, you know, it's just kind of like moving. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, I don't know. I feel like we could just like have a whole entire podcast, like analyzing. Oh, we their definitely could. We definitely could. <laughs> Discussing them. Right. But in moving on, what, yeah. what did you think of his first riddle? I had to go back and rewind it and uh, take it down when he leads her to, uh, when he tells her to look up Moffat. Miss Moffat. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yourself. Okay. Look deep within yourself and find Mrs. Moffat. Okay, I like the riddle. Look right. deep within yourself. Your self-storage, look deep within, and she does. She goes deep into the... It's a very large storage unit. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It's huge. It's filled with, I would say, junk. I mean, it's Lecter's personal items right. um, or of sorts, I guess. There's a whole entire car, a very large car. Yeah, like a hearse big. I think it actually is a hearse. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was actually a hearse, but like, yeah. It looks like a hearse from the outside, but when you get on the inside, it's like different. It, it is. It's odd. So, I like the riddle, but yes. I I think that Clarice figures it out way too easily. I, I would agree with that. Also, it was just like, this is it. Yeah. Ha, that was easy, detective. Right. My question is, do they get a warrant for her to search that storage facility? Because that's not very good security for them to just be like, oh, yeah, you could check it out and stuff as long as you don't touch nothing, you know? Because yeah. the guy states, the guy that she's talking to, he states that usually we don't let people in these storage facilities, but yeah, you know, he's like, you in, you my know? customers value their privacy, but go ahead on in. Yeah, yeah. So maybe there was a warrant that was issued or something, but the yeah. motors will explain it. And then, yeah, then she finds the head and stuff. It's, yeah. yeah I, well, it's okay. weird. Okay, we know that Hannibal has been in prison down there for eight years. Right. And the storage facility hasn't been opened in ten years. Yeah, she does She does get in. And I, I put in my notes, it's very creepy and enchanting music when she's looking around the storage facility. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, gross. A head. Yeah, disgusting. In a jar. <laughs> and it's yeah it's in a jar it's been preserved somehow with some kind of preservation fluid yeah and uh okay i don't know maybe it doesn't fit in the movie but i honestly would have liked her maybe to find more creepy things or something i don't know or just just things that would maybe tip her off to hannibal's character or like who he's been or what he has or like maybe more dark secrets he's hiding in there right. or something that could help her more I mean, she finds it, and she got yeah. lucky, because that thing was huge and full of junk, and she found right, it. Right, right. I would say that I feel like it would have been too soon if they did something like that, because they had just really introduced Hannibal Lecter, oh. and they just had the scene mm. with him, and then she moves on to the storage facility. So I feel like if we saw something that was really gross in there, more so than the head, and there was more stuff in the storage facility, I feel like it may be, may be too soon well, for that. Well, yeah, and maybe not even something more gross, but something... Something that would just—I I mean, they've already set him up. We know he's crazy. Yeah. We know he's done stuff. I don't know. Well, hmm. I mean, later in the movie, we get those weird pictures of that lady hidden in the music box. I just feel like there's so much potential in that storage unit. Yeah. For just all kinds of creepy things. I would agree with that. Maybe this is just me wanting like more creepy stuff, or yeah. just, or maybe even something that would, maybe like a a. a like if Hannibal had a daughter or something right. or a wife or a child, maybe something that would cause her to doubt Hannibal's like evilness or something that would maybe like make her soften more to him or be like more drawn to him. If she right. finds that something, I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of potential there, but yeah, they don't, don't get it. Yeah. They, they only go to the storage facility one time in the movie. 
I do feel like they could have. I feel like yeah. now you're saying that they definitely could have used it more. I just like creepy environments in movies. I, I I just feel like there's a lot there. Right. I would I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And this movie does have creepy, creepy environments, especially in yeah. Buffalo Bill's basement. Oh yeah, his giant basement. Yeah. Somehow we'll, could dig into. We'll get there. But Hester <laughs> Moffat is an anagram. Right, and I really like Hector's use of anagrams. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's an anagram for the rest of me, miss miss the rest of me, and we do figure out that Lecter rented the um, garage, right? And she goes back to him to talk with him more. We learn that courtesy is a big thing for him. Yeah, it is. Which uh, I mean, we've discussed so much about yeah, that. Already. We, we've definitely touched on that subject. But oh, we see a TV preacher in front of his cell. Right. On the video. Oh, uh, the TV preacher is actually, I'm pretty sure, a friend of the director, if I remember right. Okay. And that whole uh, preaching sequence is uh, a DVD extra. You really? can watch him. Oh, yeah. Wow. And he, it is in, it is actually in more of a deleted scene. And that guy sounds like a hillbilly. Really? He so funny. <laughs> but we learned that they're, they're torturing him by like flipping his lights on and off by putting a TV preacher in front of there. Right. And we learned the identity of Miss Moffat. Right, yeah, we do. Benjamin Raspal. Yes. He's a former patient of Lecter's. He has exotic romances. But we find out that Lecter didn't kill him. And I put subtitles on for this viewing because I was always confused about who this guy was, who this head was, how is it connected. Because there is a connection between Buffalo Bill and Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. They're not they're not separate. And we find out that Jack Crawford I think he knew there was a connection, or he had a feeling, or he, yeah, he knew had a if they feeling. would find one. I think he had a feeling. Yeah. So, that's why he uh, sent Clarice in there to decipher the connection. And we learned that he missed three appointments, so Hannibal found him the way he had already been, and he tucked him away like he found him, which is very weird. I don't... I don't know why he would do that. Right. Yeah. Th- like we said, this is one you definitely, definitely rewards you on multiple viewings. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this also really made me want to go read the book. Oh, right. Because book. I, forgot the book. I feel like there's probably a lot more in the book that we're missing that we're really. Or maybe at least explain more in the book. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I think there's a lot more uh, meat in the book that we yes. could get into and, and learn more about, which I would very much be interested in learning and i thought it was interesting how starling has started calling him sir dr Lecter. she's called him sir yeah sure sure so and that just shows there is this level of respect right between them and we learn from hannibal that he says a fledgling killer's first attempt at transformation and if we remember that was a big thing in manhunter Right, transforming yeah. or becoming something else, right? Something greater. There's some very common motifs used in the Thomas Harris novels. Mm-hmm. Clearly, I can't really speak to Hannibal. I don't know, but that was interesting, and that always creeps me out. You know, like yeah, a serial yeah. killer wants to transform or something, right? Yeah, it's freaky. And we we learned that Raspal was not. Uh, I took extensive notes. If listeners are wondering why I'm saying this stuff is because I think a lot of this is missed in the dialogue if you're really not paying close attention. Oh, yeah. And it, I just feel like 
I had to take these notes to get it down. And this is what we get of the psyche of the killer and mm-hmm. other things. This is where we get that kind of background stuff is how he interacted with others in the past and treated them. Right. So Raspal was not a transvestite, even though he had makeup on his face. Something I like, I thought it was interesting is how Hannibal pivots away from their topics sometimes. Yeah. Even though he is imprisoned, he still wants to be in charge. He's not going to let a trainee come in and boss him around Mm -hmm. and say, tell me this, tell me that. And I would definitely say that he is, every time they have a conversation, he's always the one leading it. Yes. Every time. Like, he's always the one who, like, leads the conversation from, away from Buffalo Bill into Starling and talking about her. And that's something really important to note. I'm glad Alan brought that up. Mm. Is although Hannibal is the one imprisoned, really finding out who the killer is and getting into this case and learning things, it's all in his hands. Yeah, it really is. It's all in his hands, and he has the power of how much information he wants to release and or let her go and decipher on her own. Yeah. Figure out. So, although she is the one asking the questions... It's almost like sometimes he answers a question with a question and he makes her think about it. Yeah. He's not just going to give it to her. No way. You know, she has to think, which is really kind of interesting because it's like she learns more as as an FBI agent from Hannibal than she does from like Jack Crawford or in training, you know. Yeah. Because we do see her like still training a lot. Uh, physically. Yeah. Like even like in parts of the film after she's already been assigned to the case. Yes. So training. But what's more important is her training mentally. And that comes with Hannibal. She kind of like goes and has like these almost training sessions, which is, it's kind of creepy. Yeah. Because now she's basically become his patient. Yeah. Very much so. That's a, that's a great point is that he, before he was arrested was a psychiatrist. Yeah. And he had these, patience and he is she's still like a patient and it's almost like she's coming to him and he does get information about her past out of her right in that way and this is kind of getting a little bit off topic but still on the topic of buffalo bill uh or i mean of uh hannibal lecter i feel like because after watching the movie this time i feel like he's already done the psychological analysis on buffalo bill and always there for his Yes. Like for Sterling. He, yeah, he knows. He, he could, I feel like he could end it at a moment's notice. Yeah, he could tell her everything that he knows right there, but he's not going to do it because he's doing the analysis on her and he wants her, you know, he wants her to figure it out as well. Yes. As, even though, in, as, as well as he learns more about her. Well, could we also say that, and it's kind of like that friendship thing you were discussing. Yeah. It's, it's almost like he, he gives, he gives her a nibble for her to go out Figure it out, but then there's always another breadcrumb that, or another loose end. She has to come back to him, right? So, and I and, feel like he's doing that on purpose, so she keeps coming back to him. Yes, and it's very much a mind game. Yeah, because I feel like he knows that what he's going to give her, he's, she's going to want to come back for more. Yes, and I feel like each time she comes back, she comes back and she wants to, she wants to talk to him more. Like she, like it comes to a point in the film. Later on, when she yeah. she just goes to him just to give him something, to give him his stuff. That's really the only reason why she's there. And she tries to talk to him about Buffalo Bill, but it never really goes anywhere. It's one. Of, it's the very last scene that they have together. Yeah. 
I mean, we'll get there when we get there. But I mean, like, if each time she comes back to Hannibal Lecter, it's more of, as we discussed earlier, it's more of him leading, leading the discussion. And she's coming back to him because not only does she need to, but there's information that she also needs to talk to him about that she's learned because Hannibal Lecter is just that smart. Yeah. And, and it's kind of scary because it's like he has this, like, this hypnotic quality. Yeah. Like, he's just, like, has this trance on her that he, like, keeps drawing her back to him. You know, right, and that's why he says he's like people will think we're dating or something like yeah. that, or yeah, we're, we're together. We have this intimate relationship now, and it, it it's very creepy. It really is how he we see how he kind of puts this kind of this control over her, you know, and yeah. that's kind of what I was trying to discuss earlier. Is it's like he's almost filling this father like role yeah like a father should teach their child and he is doing that with her and we learned that she lost her father so yeah she didn't have a father for well i mean i think he died when she was very young yeah there's a flashback of later on but later with her at the funeral home remembering her walking up to the casket yeah dad being there that's right yeah and so it's almost like hannibal has filled those shoes in a way yeah that's a now. really good point actually like we said, there's a lot to this. Yes, there's so much to this. I this is I would say this is probably our favorite favorite part of the movie is this yeah. relationship between the two of them. It easily has the most most depth and most reward yes. and most enjoyment for the audience to really watch this dynamic play out. And honestly, in this scene, when they're talking about uh, Benjamin Raspell, <laughs> there's just a point where he like kind of like. He stands up, he walks towards her, and then he turns around and he walks towards the wall and looks up and there's just that like mm-hmm. lighting, like almost this like heavenly glow on his face. Yeah. And I put my notes, gosh dang, the lighting and cinematography is immaculate. It's just incredible the use of close-ups mm-hmm. and lighting and, and how it, he just like comes up so so close to it. Right. I, I'm just so impressed. And Right. And, and on that topic of him like standing up and walking around... When she first comes in, they're both sitting down on the ground. Like he's yes. up, he's up against the wall, and she's like sitting down, and she's like leaning forward, like waiting for him. Oh crap! Now that I think about it, oh geez, it's like a father telling a daughter a story. Really he's is. sitting up against the wall, and she's like leaning in intently, trying to listen. Yeah, and that building relationship, even though you don't really see his face until a little bit later in the scene, it it kind of sounds like now that you've brought in the father relationship, it kind of sounds like. She is like listening to like maybe a story that her dad is telling her, and she's yeah. like really interested. It in is what a he story, says. yeah, yeah. You're exactly right, and you could tell she's really intent. But he he has this like ethereal quality, like he is because it's she. He's in the dark, yeah, and she's like you could see her like searching around trying to look for him, mm-hmm. and then when the light, only when the light comes on, does he stand up? Yes, and it's like he's above her and she's still sitting down but that's so interesting how first they're standing in the very first scene together they're standing they're trying to figure each other out they're talking with each other and then she she sits on the chair a few times too but yes. he's always he's always standing yes but then at the second time their relationship has changed yes because now she is sitting that's a really great point you brought up yeah. that she is sitting on the ground there's such a relaxed uh, they're so like that show she's relaxed now with him she yes. trusts him yeah to sit down she has a comfort around him you if she wouldn't be sitting if she wasn't didn't feel comfortable in a certain way around him oh yeah 
So, yeah. Ooh. One other point I want to bring up about this relationship is that this scene, especially this scene alone, and the first one too, when he stands up, there, there's like this, it's like he has his power over her. It really does. Like, like he stands up and like he could control what, how the conversation between them is going to go and how, how he's going to react and what he's going to say. I feel like he knows, he absolutely knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And, he, and as we said earlier, he knows about Buffalo Bill already. He already knows about all that psychological stuff on him. So to get into him to reveal more stuff causes her to reveal more about her herself to him to give him so he can give more to her so he can give her more. Mm-hmm. It's like this cycle. And there's something very odd that's brought up in conversation topic when mm-hmm. he's, he's talking to her. He, he asks her about if there's been any sexual encounters with Crawford. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, why is he interested? And the more we discuss this, the more I think, could it be seen in almost this like protective way? Like a father would be protective of a daughter in that way? Yeah. Like it's either protective or maybe even somewhat jealous because he's becoming closer to her. Or maybe he sees her. Okay. And this is symbolism that the audience hasn't been introduced to yet but it's in the title right he sees clarice has this traumatic past with a lamb and a lamb is thought of as a spotless creature like right jesus christ is uh, like a lamb is symbolic of jesus christ and that spotlessness um that purity so maybe he sees her maybe as kind of this just kind of this pure like lamb in a way yeah he doesn't want her to be tarnished or any way right by those sexual encounters with crawford and she's so pure and she's so young and innocent in that way and that's why he's maybe he's not necessarily probing into those areas because he has some kind of physical weird sexual attraction to her i don't think that the more we discuss that i don't yeah i don't think that's part of it i think it's more of that kind of he's trying to see how 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 like pure and young this starling is yeah you know? yeah and it definitely plays with her character too because you know she's new to this entire fbi thing mm-hmm. and so we definitely feel that purity because she hasn't been exp- she hasn't been exposed to like the background of what all goes on in an investigation like this you know or really just any investigation in general you know yeah and it's a really good point that you bring that up you know because it does kind of feel that we've had the conversation before about this relationship between the daughter and father that he would be interested to know like is this something that's been happening you know is like is did crawford do this to you or or is he is he like that in is that why way? you're here yeah because yeah. you're his favorite in that way right and so it's a, it's a really good point that you bring that up and it i do like that you say it could be one it could be jealousy but it could also be very much just protectiveness mm-hmm I think that's I think that's probably what it is. It's just him being protective of our heroine, right? And it must be noted that sexuality plays a big role in this film. Yes. So, Buffalo Bill is a very completely debased, degraded character, and especially as far as sexuality goes, he's very much twisted in that sexuality but it's almost as if he wants to achieve this purity right whereas we see starling as this pure person and i guess even in a sexual way you know she won't sleep with her boss to get ahead 
I, you know, I don't think she has a boyfriend as far as we can see. Yeah. So I think there's also something there to also be delved into. It's like he's he's like dealing with both of them, almost like Bill is like this crazy, unruly child, you know. Yeah. Whereas Starling is his other child that's the pure and the good one. Right. And yeah. he he knows of both of them, but they're both like estranged siblings in a way. And Bill wants to become a woman. Right. Starling's already a woman, you know, and he covets what starling has is this purity i would say yeah that he feels that he never had because of the way he was treated when he was a child so i i don't know i'm just noticing all kinds of connections as we discuss this same like i i, I didn't even think about like the daughter-father relationship between our two main leads yeah um in the film at all like i knew there was a relationship there like i was just like oh it's just a friendship but the more we talk about it, the more the more we dissect like the meaning of this film, the more I'm starting to realize how big of the relationship is playing a role in this film. Yeah. Like it's it's I would even go as far as to say it's the leading drive for this film to exist. It it's, really is. It for is this relationship between Starling and Lecter. Yes. It it really is. This is the main focus, although catching the killer is. But I and I do think though that that Buffalo Bill plays a deeper role than what we really see in the film. Oh, yeah. And I'm really getting that out of this discussion. I, I really didn't think that. Uh, I was I was disappointed we didn't get more of him, like more uh, backstory, a deeper connection, or anything after this. But I, I am kind of... I, I think we're both starting to see that, too. Yeah. I don't know, because we know that Lecter, he knows Bill. He's yeah. encountered him before, and he's profiled him, and he clearly knows a lot about him. But I don't know. There's just something. I, I just feel like there's also this this kind of connection between Bill and Starling. Yeah, and it's them who come together at the end, and it's Hannibal who kind of brings them together. Right, and the whole time, and as we were ta- discussing just a second ago, with them having that relationship being maybe metaphorical children of Hannibal Lecter. Yes. Right. And hit Bill being the estranged one, whereas uh Starling is more the pure one. We they never those two never meet on screen until the very last scene. Right. And yeah, that yeah. Or it's the climax of the film. That's interesting. Yeah. And it's a very interesting dynamic that you bring that up be too because um seeing how similar their their tasks could be or you know how much they play off each other they never meet and they never talk to each other until the very end you know which is very a very interesting point and and we also learned that starling's father loved her they had a great relationship whereas bill's um we only get this in the deleted scene it was his mother who rejected him and abused him right i don't know i i honestly in in the i don't know maybe it talks about in the novel this is open to interpretation i i assumed bill's father abused him right and i'm gonna say this now because this is true i've learned this in psych uh, psychology classes sometimes when a father is very abusive to a son that son will grow up and have homosexual tendencies or become a homosexual right um there was one particular case where the son was extremely abused when he was a kid and when he grew up he just one day woke up and had a different personality. 
Yeah, I think I remember hearing. And he was he had a female personality. He believed he was a woman, and he developed a split personality from that. Whereas Bill is more of that in the literal sense. He, I mean, he wanted to be a transgender, but that didn't work, so he was more of a transvestite. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, there's the, also that literal parental connection between them. Right. So, wow. <laughs> deep. We're getting deep, guys. Deeper than we thought. Yeah. And I like that this film keeps bringing us back to this relationship. And mm-hmm. we'll get... There's one more scene. Well, I guess two more scenes with them together. And I feel like the last scene between Starling and Lecter is the most powerful one. I don't know. I think there's more. We'll, we'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get there. But... But yeah, yeah, now that we've spent basically all this podcast discussing <laughs> the relationship between Lecter and, and uh, Sterling. <laughs> and you know, I don't like, I, I like how the plot doesn't mess around. No, We're, it does we, not. We, uh, it still creates suspense, but it gets right into it. And we see Bill about 30 minutes in. Right. And something very important that we see right off the bat is later on in the film, they talk about how he covets with his eyes. Yes. And we see... He is using his eyes to peer at this woman in the dark, and he's actually using night vision, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, you know, because you can normally see right without and that. I do like that. Um, this introduction of Buffalo Bill. The first thing we see is the goggles, and he just takes off the goggles and he looks up. Yeah, that's the first thing we see. His of him. And, eyes, and instantly we know that's that must be Buffalo Bill. Yes, right. Oh yes, and there's no doubt about it. Yeah, that is Buffalo Bill, and. He, he's so creepy. Yeah. Dad Gummits. He's freaking weird. His voice. Yeah. Oh. I, f- I feel like that was one of the things that made his character for me. It's just the voice in general. I feel like it just really works here. Yeah. And he is based off of, I think, like three different real life serial killers. So, yeah. Um, And one of them did uh, go to college campuses and have like his arm in a sling or something. And he would like drop his books in front of yeah. young women and have them carry it to his car for him. And we kind of see something similar. He's out there for whatever weird reason, putting a big armchair, like a, yeah, a big, a big armchair. Yeah. It's like, what the heck are you doing? What time is it? Yeah. Where did you get this from? <laughs> you just pull us off the street. I guess, <laughs> you know, but, I'm kind of curious as to where he got the cast from. You know, yeah, that's he's true. definitely wearing a cast. Maybe even a sling too. I can't remember, but I know he's wearing. He's you know, using only using oh, one arm to get up there. Yeah, where would he get a cast from? I don't know. Maybe we're just nitpicking at this point. Yes, <laughs> that's the one flaw of this movie. <laughs> oh goodness, potholes! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but this girl is way too nice. She's way too trusting. So, uh, right. Well, even she was kind of hesitant too. Yes, public service announcement to everyone. Um, don't talk to strangers. <laughs> don't talk to strangers. Don't get in the van. Um, yeah, yeah, that should have been the candies for younger thing. kids. Now they try and trick you with sofas. Um, <laughs> don't help move furniture. Just don't. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's very scary. It gives me chills. Yeah, and this this scene's freaky. And really, every subsequent scene between those two characters on screen is just. Ugh. And I don't, I don't like it because I have someone very special and close in my life. You know, and right. It just gives me chills to, you know. Yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, of course, I, I definitely want to protect her and seeing this young woman being taken advantage of and kidnapped and right. for a very sadistic purpose. Oh, I hate it. it gives me, yeah, gives me chills. Yeah, and, and I hate do, it. I do want to bring up one interesting point is that I don't feel like this film is trying to say that 
women can very easily be taken advantage of. No. And we'll get that later because there's a scene later in the funeral home. And I'm bringing up a point. But it's more of the fact that this is the psycholo- the psychology of the killer. Is mm. that he wants to become a perfect woman, right? And it mentions this early, later. Yes. So he goes after women and then tricks them so he can take them back to his house. Yes. So just just saying. <laughs> well, he, he also has a tattoo on his hand that says love. Right. And a weird little star thing that I didn't care to figure out. Right, yeah. Um, and also something I questioned, but they kind of address later on briefly is, uh, is like, why does he throw her shirt out the window? And uh, I'm like, that's leaving evidence. But then they find out that that's become like a calling card for him. Right. That's that he's been point. Yeah. throwing her shirts out the window or something. Right. Um, and at 35 minutes into the film, we we're only 35 minutes in. Only 35 minutes in, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be a long podcast. <laughs> this is gonna be the longest one we've done, but it's necessary. Yes, because this film deserves to be dissected. Oh as yeah. Such. And Starling Starling's getting pulled out of training a lot, which is setting her apart from her peers to right. a really big degree. Um, thankfully, none of her peers resent her, which I think something is like that in films. Like when somebody's singled out, they're always like the peers always resent. Yeah. Them. If if that happened in this film, I would be very confused because that would go against that would be a completely different message mm-hmm. than everything is trying to tell us. Yeah. So. And I, and I put here in my notes, Starling is somewhat trapped between Crawford and Lecter's will. She still works for Crawford, but yet at the same time, she has to kind of appease Hannibal and right. operate yeah. with operate within his parameters that he sets for her, not particularly Crawford's. Right. Because it's Hannibal who's going to really benefit her and help her out. Not right. really Crawford. That's Crawford. a really good point because there is one scene in the film where she questions Crawford's authority. Remember that scene? Yes, yes. And then they're in the car and he que- she like respectfully questions his authority. But he says, she basically says, what, what does she say? Something along the lines of like... You used me, essentially, yeah. to go in there. And he's like, yes, I did. But Hannibal would have known right away. Right. Which is kind of crazy because then it's like, okay, Crawford's a little more... He's a little smarter than I thought he was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because I'll be honest, I don't really care for Crawford in this movie. I just don't think he does a whole lot. Right. I mean, he does do a lot, but it's, we don't really see him very much, I would say. Yeah. I mean, he's just kind of a background character. And sometimes he annoys me with his line delivery, but that's just me. I never really had a problem with him. There was just once in a while where he would give this line delivery and I'm like, yeah, you... I, I never, Who honestly, do you think you are? <laughs> I never really had a problem with him. Um, at first, when at first when that scene happened, and he's like, "Yeah, we needed, we couldn't let you know what was going on because we knew that you know, we like to figure out right away and then shut down, you know." And at first, I was like, "Well, wow, that's kind of mean," but <laughs> I mean, after after he said that, I was like, "Well, actually." I guess that makes sense, you know, because now we know Lecter and we know how he works. It's he could very easily do that. We know he can. So, yeah, it's 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 an interesting point because we feel I feel like at this point, maybe even Lecter is a bit more trustworthy than Crawford is. Because we don't know how else he's going to be using. Wow, I've never thought about that. Uh, what's her face as uh, Starling? You know? Yeah, well, yeah, I I did not think about that. I mean, clearly, I put down on my note she's she's used for each each of their purposes. Yeah, but I've never really thought about 
Lecter being more trustworthy than Crawford. Right. Because, yeah, Crawford did have these kind of ulterior motives, and he did send her in blind. Mm-hmm. And he, he it, she's like, oh, you've been using me? And also, Crawford doesn't give Starling the respect that Lecter does. Right. Because he's like, hey, um, she's a woman, and she can't handle kind of like this kind of stuff. So, right. Even though she does the autopsy. Right, right. Yeah. But And then she's like, sir, um, I don't think... This is in the movie, right? This isn't a deleted scene. Is when they're in the car and she calls him out and she says, why did you, she's like, why did you tell them to, why did you uh, go out of the room and make me stay in the room? You know? Mm. And he's like, oh, come on, Starling. You know, I was just doing that for show. Yeah. Was that in the movie? Yes, yeah, in the film. Okay. there. It's also a deleted scene and I believe they just kind of changed the dialogue or something. Yeah. But, okay, that was one of the line deliveries I didn't like. He's like, he's like, oh, come on, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit weird. You know, I was just that. kidding, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, now you mention it, that is kind of a, kind of an odd delivery. I guess it really didn't faze me, though. Well, but you see that he, he's like, that was just for show. I'm not buying that. I don't, I really don't think it was. He realizes that she's a woman in a man's world. And yeah. he's not, like, man enough to say... She's my partner. Anything you can say right, in front of me, right. you can say in front of her. Right. They don't do that. Whereas... And this entire scene is under that idea, too. Mm-hmm. And it's very evident because not only do they walk out of the room, but then later we see this shot. It's like a wider shot of her like sitting down and all the male officers are standing above her. Yeah. Right. And we get a reaction shot and she's like feeling kind of awkward. Like, I don't really want to be here. And that's when she gets up and like, you know looks at and has a flashback of the funeral scene you know mm, yes. and then it cuts back to her and she's asking all the officers to leave the room and they're all just kind of standing on looking at each other like who's this to tell us what to do you know and then they eventually you know they end up walking out hesitantly but yeah like yeah this, this is this entire scene is just right around this idea of a woman in a man's world yeah and you can tell they're clearly making the statement yeah especially by those male officers looks and in the op- that opening scene where she's the only woman, like a small little woman mm-hmm. in an elevator of these big men, you know? Right. She right. She's looked at as she's objectified and she's treated as like a second class citizen. You know? I wouldn't say objectified, but more of just like this isn't a normal line of work for a woman to be in. Uh, yeah. You the know? only reason I said objectified is because in one of the training montage sequences, when she's running along the shore water, there's a man that turns around and looks at her. Oh, right. Yeah. So true. Big, good point. So I, I mean, that's the only piece of evidence where she is objectified. Right. Uh, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the flashback scenes. Yes. I feel like these flashback scenes don't pay off. I wouldn't say pay off. They don't. I would say they do pay off, but their introduction is always just out of nowhere. Oh yeah. I it, think that's my biggest problem with it is that they're they serve a pivotal role in the film. Fluid though, yeah, they they serve a they they serve a pivotal pivotal role role in the film, but getting to that point of here's a flashback scene is always kind of just like it's just like wedged in there. Yeah, but I, I'm. I mean, I'm, they're they're important for a character, but you know. Yeah, but all I'm saying is that I I don't know. I just feel like. Okay, the first one is she's like, hey, dad, I love you. See, they love each other. Okay, mm-hmm. we, we established that. And then the second one is, oh, he's dead. Right. And 
I'm not, uh, she's not any older. It's just like not that far after. I don't know. The only way that I can really justify it is in our discussion, um, talking about how Hannibal has, how Lecter has taken over that father role. He's filled that void that was clearly taken away from her all too young. Right. I, I, I don't know. I just felt like there's not a lot of depth to them though. Right. I feel like there's a bit more to the flashback scenes though, because we find out he's also a police officer and then she goes into the force as well. Yeah, I, I which just... Is, which is interesting because he, I think he died in the force. It was he a, did. He was shot. Yeah. yeah. And so it's interesting that she would also go in and join the FBI when her father, really her only parent, essentially, for basically all of her life, died because he was in the force. Yeah. But that's really the only reason I can really think of like the flashback scenes being very important. Like I know that it also helps serve her character because... Before we're really introduced to like her backstory of her and her father, it's a flashback scene of of him driving home and then her like sneaking up on him, and the next one we get he's dead. Mm-hmm. And oh, now we mention it, it is kind of interesting. Oh, I see why they're here. Okay, it's the first one because remember we talked about Hannibal having that father role. Yes. The first flashback we see is after the first conversation with Hannibal Lecter. Okay. And then she's walking out and she's seeing her father. Yeah, she's walking back to the parking lot. Right. Oh, well, that's really interesting. So she's thinking of her father while thinking right. of her conversation where she's she's just coming from Lecter. And the first thought that pops into her head is her dad and how right. she her dad. Hmm. Okay. Yes. I can see why that. Okay. So I can see why the first one's there. That draws a lot more symbolism. Than right. Oh, although it does kind of come out of nowhere as we said they are bleed they, are, they don't bleed very well into the film i don't think no the second one i'm trying to think of what the second one would be about uh, well it was kind of like have you never been to a funeral since your dad's death because she's at a funeral and she's like yeah i was at a funeral when my dad died right <laughs> true just, yeah i don't know i just felt like there was going to be some deeper revelation right or something that i felt like paid off a little more at least for me personally and something that i'm i'm i don't know i guess it's kind of like supposed to leave it up to your imagination mm. but and i guess they didn't want to detract from such a powerful scene with lecter with her last encounter with lecter yeah we get these flashbacks but we don't get any flashback scenes when she's talking about waking up that morning at the ranch hearing the screaming of the lambs and right, going out to them. Yeah. We don't get that. And I'm just like, what? Right. We get you, you You set us up with these two flashbacks in the beginning, which I feel they're very short. Yeah, they are very short. The second like, flashback is like five seconds long. Yeah, they're they're short. There's nothing really major about them, but yeah. And uh, and like I, I like I said, I guess the only other thing to help uh, support them is showing how... She had a close relationship with her dad, whereas right. Bill uh, clearly had terrible parental relationships. He died. It was a terrible loss for her. I'm sure that if his parents died, it was relief for him. It was a blessing for him mm-hmm. if they clearly were abusers to him. Right. So, I, I mean, I guess there's like a, that to be drawn, but it's just not that. I don't know. It doesn't matter yeah. for me that yeah. much. It, it's not a... It's not a big issue in the film i would say but it is one that kind of sticks out yes it does stick out and one that somewhat frustrates me nonetheless right i i would agree with you is it's just i just feel like there's missed opportunities there 
Right. Just give us something deeper. Make it be a bigger revelation. Make it last longer than 10 seconds or 5 seconds. Or I would even say make it... I, I, I like the idea of the flashbacks in this film. Um, I would say maybe just have, have it bleed a bit better. Because they do kind of stick out, you know. Yeah, or give us one more. Because right. if you're going to talk about a flashback and not show it after showing us flashbacks I, yeah, and not I totally talking agree. about them, that just feels inconsistent. I totally agree. That scene when they're talking about the, the lamb a memory is not in the film at all. I know, and it's like... I feel like that would have made a good flashback, too. It really would have made a fantastic flashback. Right, right. If done right. Right, yeah, I agree. But we don't get it, and it's not a deleted scene. Right. So, ugh. <laughs> So, and, and then now we get that autopsy scene. It is, yes. This is kind of, this is where the film starts to get a little bit gross. It like does. Like disturbing. And it's interesting because we don't see much for a while. We really don't, no. And it's like, we don't see much of anything. It's it's pretty gross. And we do see some, like, with their fingernails and yeah, yeah. moss and stuff. And Which comes, in the fingernail, uh, at least the fingernail part comes into play a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because that's not a dummy body. That's actually a live woman. I figured it was. And when they pull the uh, cocoon or chrysalis or whatever out of her throat, yeah. it really was in her throat. And she just had to, like, hold her breath. And then she started, like, coughing and choking when they finally pulled it out. They're like, cut, cut. You know, they had wow. to Wow. So that that was real. That's that's creepy. <laughs> that's creepy. I didn't know about that. And it does introduce a very, very odd mystery why someone would shove a bug cocoon down her throat. Right. Right. That's bizarre. That It, uh, it, it is crazy. It's a very intriguing mystery. And, yeah, and she brings that cocoon to a couple of her friends that like, specialize in this kind of thing, you know. Those guys are weird. Yeah. One of my favorite lines from him is, tough nookies, it's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That could be a meme. Yes, it could. <laughs> so, but we see the cuts on her back. Right. Which made me maybe think of, like, wings or something, kind of. Right. Uh, those, not... but those exact same cuts appear later in the film. Did you notice that? Yeah, and mm-hmm. that's what that's what got her figured it out. And I was right. like, oh, right, uh, hmm. okay, right. So then we learn it's a death's head moth, right, raised in Asia, but someone had them imported, and they they clearly define those people like somebody loved him, or like somebody loved you. Yeah, cared for and everything, yeah. Yeah, and they clearly say the word loved, and we know that Buffalo Bill wasn't loved, but he loves these death's head moths. Right. Which go from something very ugly to something very beautiful, and that's what he's personally wanting. Right. Bill is, he views himself as ugly and dejected and just gross, and he wants to transform like these moths are transforming, and that's what he does with the victims. He puts it in there like... After he's done with them, yeah. Yeah, like like they've transformed or something, or they're they're a part of his transformation. I would say they're part of it because the okay. cocoons are not hatched. Yes. They're like they're go. especially the one that we saw, it's very much in a cocoon. Yeah. So it's easily in its stages of becoming like a butterfly or whatever it is, you know, the moth. Yes. And we learn that he did the same thing with Benjamin Raspal ten years ago. Yeah. So he did it ten years ago. And I'm assuming probably within that 10-year span before he he did that one killing, they were lovers, him and Raspel. Right. Um, he applied at the three main medical hospitals that performed gender reassignment, yeah, tran- that, transition, yeah. something, medical term, I don't know. But and he, and he was rejected all three times. So right. I think 
that mixed with his already psychotic background he had already murdered once he had already had an abuse abused childhood right um then i think he resorted to literally killing women skinning them alive and taking it upon himself to transform himself yeah or at least make the perfect woman or something because i noticed later on the uh skin that's all kind of like sewed together on the dummy yeah i i feel like that's maybe what he's going for too yeah he 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 could have just killed one woman taken her skin right and done it but he is compiling many different skins or looking at least for the perfect one right because that's why he's like are you size 14 and he like rips her shirt open he's like oh your skin's perfect Mm -hmm. you know so yeah i guess he was looking for that perfect skin right right yeah definitely very creepy very gross freaky yeah and this is where i had my notes the transitions between one scene and the next are always just so good yeah because they talk about this bug that they have you know and they're like well, what does this bug mean? You know, like what? Why? Who would put this bug in there? And then she takes the bug and takes it to her friends, and their friends find out that you can only get these in Asia. Whoever whoever has has loved it. Cuts next scene we have is the mods inside of Buffalo Bill's house. That's the first thing we see mm-hmm. when the when the scene cuts. Yes, it just like I said, this movie flows just so well into like the next scenes. It really does. It's so good. Yeah. I want to know how he dug a pit that deep in his basement. Right. There's rock down there. My guess is that it used to be served as a well for the house. Okay. Yeah. That would be my only guess, is that it's just, it was a well and then dried up. Because I was going to say, you would really need, like, what are those things called? Backhoes or something? Yeah, I mean, pretty big, pretty good size one. And I don't <laughs> know how you get down in the basement anyways. You, <laughs> you do know? not dig that by hand. Unless... unless the house just booked on top of it. That would be the only thing I can think of if they used on those. I, I don't know if any real-life case of a, a pit being in a basement. Right. Um, we will be talking about prisoners for a bonus podcast for this series. Yes. And Can't wait for that. They kind of have a pit. Yeah. When in that, like in the yard, they move it in there. Right. Although I think that might be a little impossible. I don't know. But right. I know John Wayne Gacy put the people in the crawl space between the house and the foundation mm-hmm. which is more plausible uh, but i don't know pit right right pit of despairs right as i call it <laughs> and i do like this is the first time we see buffalo bills's house and in my notes i said establishing shots of buffalo bills's house yeah it, so short yet so powerful to pull things together yeah we're kind of like going on like a guided yeah tour it's like just it. all establishing shots of the, just the basement yeah, and we see like like uh, dresses and wigs, mm-hmm. and we see creepy pictures and moss, yeah. and, and we that hear weird screaming, music playing. weird music. Yeah. Yes, that he listens to, and he's sitting there naked. Yeah, sewing or something. So yeah, super creepy. And, and then yeah, and then we hear the girl in the well, and mm-hmm. we don't see her. He just kind of pans over to the well, and she's like, "Help, help, someone help me!" Yeah, and then it cuts. Yeah, did that pit also made me think of in the ring. When yeah, she falls into the yeah. pit and she sees like the nails of Samara that right. try to crawl out of there, and she sees that also. Right. We also come back to uh, Lecter and Clarice. I don't want to talk about it too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I-, I said, "Oh my gosh, perfect scene!" And I praised Manhunter for having 
the scene cut back and forth between Lecter and Graham mm-hmm. and the bars. Like, who's really behind the bars? Who's really in charge? But right. I loved it when Clarice is up against, like, so close to the glass. Yeah. And Crawford told her, don't be near the glass. But you notice that after the second time, she keeps getting closer and closer to the yeah. glass. And we just see, like, Hector turn around and his reflection is in the glass. Yes. I loved it. Oh. Such a great shot. And, Such a great and shot. And I feel like at that point, it's it's now completely up to Lecter at this point. Like, mm-hmm. he could control the entire situation any way he wants because now he has her in his yeah. grasp, essentially. Yes, and that's absolutely right. That's a great point to bring mm-hmm. up. And I really like what Lecter says. Our Billy wasn't born a criminal. He was made one through years of abuse. He hates his identity and therefore thinks he's a transsexual. And right. that really helps humanize the killer. Right. Whereas I feel like in most movies, um, and I think that's... At least so far, something Thomas Harris does well Mm -hmm. with his novels and even the directors adapting them. And we saw that in Manhunter. I saw enough of it to see he had this kind of uh, affection and relationship with the blind woman, um, the tooth fairy. And now Hannibal is humanizing this killer. You know, he wasn't born a killer. He wasn't born a monster. You have to remember that. And that's that's great character development. I think that is... And I do want to kind of take this time to point out something that I don't think I pointed out earlier between Hannibal and Sterling is that and I found this out like mostly through like the dialogue and like how it was presented mm-hmm. is that every time because there, I feel like especially in the first situation, the first couple of situations, you kind of feel it. And then this one in particular is where I think it's most evident is um, every time we okay, she, I think she's trying to realize that. Um, Lecter is like controlling the situation, yeah. and so she tries to change the su- change the subject, right? Yes. But then every time she changes the subject, he reverts right back to the other to the other one. Like he yeah. what he wants to reverse what he wants to talk about, yeah. And she does this more than once, and I feel like each time she tries to change the situation, the more harder he gets to move the situation or move the conversation to the way he wants. And in my notes, I have every time she stands up for herself, he ups the ante. Hmm. That's that's a really good point to bring up yeah because ultimately he is in charge and especially if we're going with that father-daughter dynamic the daughter's not going to boss the dad around at least i'd hope not right right and he does and she is reliant upon him no matter how much she pushes him and says answer my questions do this Mm -hmm. tell me no he's not going to conform to her will right you know and so he does keep that keep that going and he eventually establishes quid pro quo uh he's like i i'm not gonna like sway you as easily as i would others Mm -hmm. so and she has showing that she is going to hold her own against him she's not going to be kind of like conformed to his right patterns and whatnot so he does establish that quid pro quo where you know, like, you give me this, I give you that. And whether he holds up, we'll get to that towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I guess now that I think about it, we could, maybe we can even draw a parallel between this relationship between Hannibal Lecter and Sterling and Buffalo Bill and his dad. Mm-hmm. Or, I guess, the movie doesn't really explain it, but, and maybe even the deleted scenes, because it talks Lecter about is, mom. yeah, Lecter is very much in charge. Mm-hmm. And he's bending starting to his will. So yeah. I feel like maybe it's even maybe a mild parallel to Buffalo Bill and his relationship with his mom. 
there's something there. There's clearly a, a dominant yes. and receptive partnership or yeah. something. Yeah. And we cut back to Bill and the girl, and he calls her it. It puts the lotion in the yeah, mask. Yeah, 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 right, right. It puts right. the lotion on the skin or it gets the hose again. This scene, this scene is disturbing. It's super disturbing. Gosh. This, okay, I don't think I've, this is one of those scenes that has acting that's just so real that it's literally disturbing. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't really see very, we don't, like, we don't need to see disturbing imagery. Just the entire situation and the way that the scene was set up is just, so well done yeah. in a way to disturb its audience that it does it perfectly, I feel. Well, yeah. I mean, just kind of like what Alan brought up and now we cut. Okay. We have uh, Hannibal and Starling having mm-hmm. a conversation and we're trying to have this kind of like power play almost or who's dominant, who's not. Mm-hmm. How is this relationship forming? Their relationship is clearly growing closer. Whereas then we cut to a male and a female, except this time it's Buffalo Bill and the imprisoned woman. Right. Whose name I can't remember at all. Right. Um, (laughs) But they have a very different relationship. Right. They still develop a relationship, but it's very different. And I don't know. We we see how there's like the Hannibal-Starling relationship, Bill and that girl relationship, you know? I'm going to debate you on that. I and think, he's above her? I think the relationship is almost the same. Just different situations. Because we talked about how Hannibal Lecter is bending the conversation to his will. Yeah. Right? Buffalo Bill is forcing this girl to do what he wants. Yes. So, although the situations are different, I'd say the relationship between the two is also different. Because there's a respect, there's a level of respect with Lecter and Sterling. Whereas with um buffalo bill and the kidnapped girl there's no respect there but the situation i feel is really similar because you know as i said she is being forced to do what he wants and there's nothing really she can do about it i guess that's true yeah that makes sense and we have to remember that bill and Lecter, they're both killers yes and they're both crazy oh yeah one is far more refined one is a loose psychotic cannon you Mm -hmm. know but they're both, yeah, that's true. They're both uh, serial killers. Yeah. So, yeah, and like, but it was this scene mainly the part when she is like, "I just want my mommy." <laughs> that scene when she's like, and she can't get the words out because she's so distraught. That scene just okay. demolishes me. Did you notice how he started to cry? Yes. Also? Yes. When she's like really starting, like when she notices like the nail jabbed, like stuck in the rocks. Yeah. The girl whose nails broke off earlier in the film with the autopsy. Mm-hmm. And then she, you know, starts freaking out and crying. And then, you know, he yeah, starts, starts crying with her. Yeah. Ugh. He starts crying, too. And I'm thinking, I, I put it, he could be thinking of how he was abused when he was a kid. Right. And he is now the abuser. And how it's just, like, such a torment for him to be right. in this position. But he feels like he has no choice. And normally when someone is, is kind of, like, bullied like that, they'll become a bully, too. Right. You know? True, yeah. So, it, I don't know. It's incredibly well done, and it does help humanize the killer, Buffalo Bill. You right. Know? But at the same time, he still has these inkling of feelings left, right. however much demolished they may be. You know, but yeah, uh, even even though he's you know kind of crazy and like demented, he's still a human being. Yes, 
And we get, oh, I like how we get the famous Lecter mask. Yes. Oh, very, very creepy. This, yeah, very the well the, this, the transfer scene is really great. And that transfer scene is weird because, okay, we were just talking about how we see Bill as human, mm-hmm. but it's like they don't see Lecter as human. Right. Because yeah, all sh- the characters don't. I th- I would say all the characters don't see him as a human except for Starling. Yeah. he He's like a caged animal. Yeah. Whereas like it, in that cage, like on his face, is like really like tight on him. Like you can see his nose mm-hmm. is like being crushed. Oh my gosh! Yeah, they they completely strap him up, confine him. I understand why they do it. Right. Yeah. But it, it's just so weird how they rely on him. They need him. Yeah. But they're going to put him on like a a dolly. Yeah. And they're gonna put a mask over his face. They're gonna put him in a straight jacket. They're gonna strap him down. They're gonna treat him like an object. They're like signing him over mm-hmm. like a package almost. Yeah. Like right. a cargo package. It's very odd that way. Yeah. And then the guy leaves his pin. I don't understand how he could have even got that pin anyway. I, yeah, I feel like this is just that's a little bit a little bit of a just a convenience. Yeah, you gotta give it to the movie, I guess. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not like a big issue I have with it. It's just like, like, come on. I, I guess it does kind of serve Chilton's character, anyways. He's kind of cocky, you know. Yeah. Like he, he, I feel like he knows how to handle Lecter because when he's talking to Lecter, he is like, he's like, I'm in control right now. Yeah. He's like, I'm in control right now. Yeah. This is what's sense. gonna happen between yeah. you and me, you know. And then when he leaves, he leaves his pen behind, which he even said to Sterling. Make sure you don't put any pins or other sharp objects in, like, the tray when you give him some stuff to read, you know, or he'll look at documents. Yeah. He, he does state that, and then he just leaves his pin in his cell. Okay, I, I'll I'll roll with it, you know. Yeah, but then it just makes me feel like Lecter is a little more powerful than he really is. Right. Almost like a magician. Like, he can just, he can do things that are unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't believe he got that pin. He was strapped up in a straitjacket. He was there. I don't know how he could. And we learned that he, he swallowed it or at least part of it. He, I believe he swallowed Because he regurgitates it later on. I be, okay. I believe maybe he like, I don't know. It doesn't really explain it. Maybe he like stuck it under his tongue or something. I don't know. But uh... um, my only thing I can think of is that the clip of the pin, he like pulled off the clip part. Yeah. And then like kept it. Maybe like he, like before when he saw him like keeping it like between his fingers and like holding his hand, maybe he did that when he's putting the straitjacket. Well, we know that he took the whole pin though, because Chilton can't find the pin at all. Right, right. I'm just saying, yeah, he just. I'm just saying he used just that clip part right, to escape. Okay. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, um, I'm thinking. The only thing I can think of it doesn't really explain. It doesn't. Really, I guess there's really need to explain. Well, because it's not that big of a deal. Okay, but do you believe it? Do you believe he could have gotten that pin? My only thought is that maybe they unstrapped him before they moved him out later. Yeah, I don't. Really okay, know how so got maybe the pin. what you're saying is that. Chilton left the pin in the cell. He left the cell. They unstrapped him. They left the cell, and the pin's there, and that's how he got it. That would be my guess, but yeah, it is kind of far fetched. The movie doesn't show me anything, so I don't believe he could have gotten that pin. He is not that good. Sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a movie. We have to suspend some, some sort yeah, of some disbelief. Yeah, but at this airport scene, we f- find out he's good at being genuinely. False, which just kind of sounds weird, and I think that's the best way I could word it. Like, what do you mean? Is he he's clearly lying about things, but he seems so genuine about wanting to help her. Yeah, that's true. But then at the same time, he also seems pretty sarcastic. He's like, I can only pray that you get to her before Bill does, or something right. like that. And, right. But it, it, he's still kind of like cordial. He's still kind of genuine about it. 
Yeah, he while is. While being sarcastic. And, and, I, so I, and I feel like that's part of the way he just does things, is that even though, like we said before, you know, with him and Sterling, mm-hmm. even though he may want to the situation to go, situation to go his way, mm-hmm. he does kind of give that level of respect for them to trust him. Yes. Even if it's not right at all, you know? Yes, and he says his name is... His real name is Lewis Friend, which made me think of a... There's a character, I believe it's a a story by Flannery O'Connor, I believe is her name. The antagonist in that story is a very creepy individual. Yeah. He's very enticing. He's supposed to be enticing the young girl out of her house, out of her father's house, to come with him, much Mm -hmm. like Bill does to his victims. And his name is Arnold Friend. And if you erase some of the letters, it spells an old fiend. Right. And I'm like, oh, hey, his name is Lewis Friend, which made me think of fiend. Right, right. He's an old fiend. Hmm, so weird. I don't know if Thomas Harris had that in mind when, right. or if that's even in the book, if the screenwriter had that in mind. Right. Nevertheless, it made me think of that. Weird. Okay, we and this is where we also learn in the hangar scene that Hannibal has, he has in fact met quote-unquote friend because Raspal referred him to Lecter. Mm. And we learned that Raspal became frightened. Right. And I thought it was weird that Lecter called the senator mom. Yeah. Said, hey, mom, love your suit. Mm. (laughs) Which is funny because I think that shows that he kind of is refined. Yeah. And refined taste and likes fashion or stuff. And he does have these creepy one-liners that I think make the character... Right, yeah, he does. And Chilton loves the limelight, and he's super conceited. I can't yes. take it. He's so annoying. Yeah, he he is very much so. Okay, why why does that guy ask Starling in the elevator? Is it true? Is he really like a vampire or something? He says that, and I was like, uh, I would <laughs> my I mean my only guess is that he knows that she's working with him. Uh, yeah, and I guess it leads to this like supernatural, scary quality about him, but it just seemed a little odd. yeah, it was weird. I would agree. Maybe just because there are stories being told about him, you know. Mm-hmm. But that would be the only thing I can think of. Yes. And I like how Clarice automatically knows that he's lying about his name being Lewis Friend. And she's already trying to work out what the anagram is. Yeah. And I like the anagram, which is, this is clever. Iron Sulfide. Yes. A.K.A. Fool's Gold. Mm. It's it's not real, you know. Right. So I right. that was really well done, which I think is better than... The yourself storage. Yeah, I would agree. I would totally agree. And Lecter talks about talks about eyes coveting and moving over her body, and we've yeah. seen eyes looking at her through the movie. Big emphasis on Lecter's eyes in this scene. Yes, uh, creepy looking down at her. I think that's an iconic scene of him, kind of like yeah, with his head bowed, peering down, looking at her. Yeah, definitely. And this scene. I really like the way that the cinematography is in this mm, scene yes, because yes. it starts off but on the medium side of a shot of him, of them both behind the bars, right? Yeah. And then there's this one, there's one scene, or I guess a couple of takes, which we, a couple of cuts, and the camera's slowly moving in as the bars slowly go out of frame on Hannibal first, and then it cuts to uh, cuts to her, and then it zooms in on her too as mm-hmm. the bars go out of frame. Yeah, I have that in my notes. Also, how I. Love the slow zoom, and it's very well done. Yes. This is where she recounts her silence. Yes. The Lamb's story, and that's right. why it's titled that. 
Okay, so are these female victims supposed to be lambs, and they're being silenced by Buffalo Bill? Maybe. I think that Because this be movie's why. called The Silence of the Lambs, and I don't really know why. It's a great title. But yeah, I it is a great title. I don't know why. I'm going to say yes. That's what I'm going to say, because um, for all we know, the women in this in this movie are really, they haven't really done much of anything you know, wrong. Right. Except for those creepy photos she finds later on. Right. Which don't lead anywhere, which uh, maybe they do. I don't know. I this when, is That's kind of when the movies are fall apart. Yeah. Some areas for me. Uh, we'll, we'll get there because we'll I there. think I know where they were going for. Anyways, so um, I would say maybe the Silence of the Lambs is the, the women that he... No, maybe it's, um, maybe it's because he's trying to make the perfect woman mm-hmm. and he's silencing the lambs. Because of the other women that he's trying to pull pull pieces from, essentially, for the movie and build the perfect woman. Right. That'd be my only guess. Yeah. I don't know. There's there's probably something I'm missing. I feel like there definitely is. I feel like there is certain things or symbols that they bring up that I think, I don't know. I don't know if they completely pay off or they completely follow them through. Right. But they're there, and maybe they're just there for the audience to right. interpret and, and think about, like, we're doing right, right now. And definitely, like we said before, pays off with multiple viewings, too. So yes. I'm sure this may be something we're just both just completely missing. Yes. And also, she talks about hearing this horrific noise of these lambs screaming. Yeah. It's, I, I don't believe it was a lamb, but I have heard a noise very similar to yep. what she described. I woke up once, just like she did, mm-hmm. in the early morning or kind of the middle of the night to the most horrible sound I've ever heard. I mean, it was so horrific. I yeah. I thought, okay, honestly, I thought someone was being murdered in the cul-de-sac where really? I live. I literally was so, so afraid to look out the window because I thought I would see someone being murdered or something. Yeah. It was such a horrible noise and it was just like, like screaming and screaming and and then I, I figured out oh my gosh i think an animal is dying yeah outside and i was so afraid to like, yeah whereas clarice is like i'm gonna go check it out yeah yeah <laughs> i was i would have been like no i'm staying in my room <laughs> yeah exactly so <laughs> put in headphones <laughs> but i can't i can't at least relate and i don't want anybody to hear that noise but if you have you'll know it is if you've ever heard like an animal dying in that way, like an animal screaming and dying, you'll mm-hmm. know it is just one of the most horrific noises ever. And it is just truly terrifying. Right, right. So uh, very uh, good story she tells. I like it, mm-hmm. but I just kind of wish we would have show, not tell. Right. I don't know. I would agree. I'm a big, okay. And, I'm, and this is where I'm talking about. This is where the missed opportunity is. Because I don't want to spoil my favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie, Marnie, but it does have a flashback at the end that does reveal the truth of what it had been building to and hinting at. And this is a similar situation. Right. This is kind of... It's not that Clarice's dad died. It's that these innocent lambs were being slaughtered and she could do nothing about it. Right. And maybe, and maybe that's why, is that why she joined the FBI? So she could stop these, these killings, killing of the innocent? Maybe. 
I because she wanted probably. to save the lamb, and she was running away with the lamb, and it made them so mad they put her in an orphanage? Yeah. Gosh dang, they're harsh. Yeah. And it was her mother's cousin, and her mother died when she was like three or something. Yeah, when she really was a young. child. So very distant relatives. I'm sure she never knew. Mm. Anyway, and they probably didn't want to check in. But, yeah. okay, but that, but Hitchcock used that flashback scene, which is just a crazy, amazing flashback scene. Probably the best flashback scene I've ever seen yeah. in Hitchcock's Marnie. But we don't get that here, even though we have such potential yeah, we, I for we, something. We could have like heard that noise, and maybe they want that noise to be like left up to our imagination. Yeah, I, I'll, I can buy that part. But maybe, maybe just maybe just even a flashback with just no audio. Maybe just her just explaining the flashback, and they're and they're like maybe showing it, and there's just like no audio. Yeah, for yeah, the yeah. Flashback. That's what, what I would mean? go for. Even though I think if they could at least. Um, get that that noise that I heard and put that in. Mm-hmm. I think that would truly chill the audience. Yeah, to the bone, like it chilled me. So, I don't know. Right. We'll, we'll create our own cut, guys. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll get Jodie Foster back. <laughs> we'll get we'll get her back to narrate the new sequences, and we'll we'll find that little girl. Hopefully, she's still the same age. Yeah, I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe if not, like in that scene mm-hmm. when he's, she's talking to Lecter because there's also something else going on there between them. Maybe, like, later on or something, you know, and we realize, okay, this is the scene she was talking about, you know, that um, that flashback, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I feel like that there could have been a benefit for the flashback here, or maybe none at all. You know what I mean? None we just all for written, movie. written out all of the flashbacks oh, in the movie. yeah. So we don't have the this conflict that we're having now, you know. Yeah. Well, Lecter says, if you save Catherine, you won't wake up in the dark to hear the screaming of the lambs. Mm-hmm. And Lecter gets the story and says, thank you. And then he gives her the case files, brushes his fingers on hers. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting scene. And she's like, quid pro quo, tell me the name, quid pro, you know, tell me the name. But he won't. I don't know. I was kind of confused. And yeah, this, this is like we said before, this is easily the most powerful of the scenes between them. Because it's basically all about Clarice now. It, It is. And maybe he's kind of like... That the father figure in the way where he's like, I've I've taught you all I can. I've given yeah. you all you can. You need to stand on your own two feet and figure this out for yourself. Right. I would say that's probably what. they have truly reached that level of intimacy. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure she told nobody that story. That She says it clearly haunts her. She wakes up in the night still having nightmares about it and thinking about it. Right. And she shares that with a cannibal serial killer who has become... They've had this, they've had this closeness now. Right. You know? So... There's yeah. something there. Yeah, and the upcoming scene with Hannibal escaping. Yeah. Love this scene. Well, but we also see a picture that he has drawn. Right, and it's of her holding a lamb. And three crosses in the background, yeah. which is clearly symbolic of Christ, who is symbolized as a spotless white yeah, lamb. Yeah, Mary and the sacrificial lamb, too. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and, okay, but then I just get confused again, because... Okay. He orders lamb chops, yes. which means he had a lamb slaughtered in order to eat them. Exactly, because in her story, the lamb's being slaughtered, remember that? Yeah. Right, and... I um, <laughs> don't understand. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's something that is... I think at this point, is we're now going to get into a bit more of a symbolism. But then I feel like the symbolism has gone awry, maybe. But it's just like so, so much symbolism all at once. And I would say... all in one tight little scene, and I just... 
Right. I would say it's definitely something that's, that you have to think about because it doesn't bother me that he bought that he ordered lamb chops. I like the fact that he did because now I got to think about why would he order lamb chops? But okay, yes, it's good that it makes you think, but then at the same time, it makes me wonder, what the heck are you? Why would you do that? Because it's almost like a personal affront to her, you know. Like right. he knows that so that was so troubling, and he's like, "All right, I'm gonna kill one more lamb." Right. You know? And maybe, I really, I don't know. It just, I don't know. Maybe. Well, well. After this, though, after right after this scene, well, not really the scene, but right after he gets the lamb chops, he kills the two officers and then strings that guy up on the cage mm-hmm. and like this symbol of Christ. Yeah, I never thought about that. So maybe it has a maybe there's like a parallel between the lamb chops and then him killing the guy and putting him on, on a symbolized cross, essentially. Yeah, and the other thing that I thought is, um, well, maybe he is orders the lamb chops, and then when he kills them, it's like he's punishing them for maybe, having yeah. the lamb slaughtered or something, and that's Good his point. his way of of punishing them, but it. Uh, I don't know. That's a good point. Like I said, there's a lot more here than there than what just meets the eye. And also, I maybe it's more um, clearly explained in the book. Probably. So. But yeah, no, this is escape scene. I love this scene. It's so good. It is so well done. And I love the line, Ready when you are, Sergeant. Sergeant Petrie. Yeah, yep. I love that. And, yeah, then, okay, what did he do? Does he, like, bite his, part of his cheek? He does, like, kind of around his lip area. Okay, yeah, I always thought he bit out his tongue at first. Scary, because yeah. we have just seen Lecter as a very calm man. Yeah, and then he kind of just loses it. He goes well, not really loses mode. it, but he, like, we now get to see who he really is. He you becomes know? a beast, essentially, because right. he's like a carnivore. And interesting enough, how it happens right after he had his last conversation with Clarice. Mm-hmm. So, interesting. Like I said... This movie transitions very, very well from one scene to the next. Well, it's and he, and he it's almost like that's what he needed to get out. Yes, he's finished with her. They're 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 done essentially. Right. And he says thank you. And he uses because they say this guy requested a second meal. Mm-hmm. And we know that he's he's clearly kind of like this meat eater, this cannibal. You know, yeah. he requested a second meal. And he requested lamb chops. He wouldn't have known to request lamb chops if she hadn't told him that story. Exactly. And you notice when she said, he's like, thank you. So is he, maybe he's saying like, thank you. This is what I needed to get to out get of out. here. You know? What I wrote down my notes before is that really Hannibal's escape is essentially all Clarice's fault. Well, Clarice's and the FBI's fault. Because there's a throwaway line that when they're moving him you know, from Baltimore out... Um, to wherever else he's going, that they needed an incentive for him to give them more information. So they said earlier in the film, you Clarice gives him like you know the form. If you give me a psychological profile, we'll move you outside, and you can be outside. You can be like out in the open for a week at one one week out yeah, of the year. That was false, you know? though. Yeah, it was yeah. false. Um, but they just wanted to get him, you know, to at least believe that they were moving him elsewhere. Well, the reason they did move him out is because they had to take him to Memphis to talk with a senator. Exactly. So, yes. so yeah. So, I, I guess it's true. I guess maybe I had it wrong. But, yeah, it's essentially Clarice's fault because he gave she gave him the thought. And so he ordered a second meal and then he escaped. Mm-hmm. Well, this also makes me the escape scene when he's um, beating the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a 
wonderful short story, probably my favorite short story, called Lamb to the Slaughter. Yeah. And it's essentially how it ends is the wife takes a frozen lamb leg and knocks her husband over the head, thus killing him. And he orders the lamb chops, you know, and beats the people. I don't know. That's what it made me think of also. Yeah. So, and I, I, I almost can't watch it when he is beating the guy. Yeah. You know, and he's just doing it like so it, calm. It doesn't, so it doesn't show, it doesn't show him beating the guy. It's just only him and him just swinging the baton. And he's got blood all over yeah, his and every, face. Every and time he, eyes is truly yeah, horrifying. every time he, there's an impact. There's more blood like splatters on it. Yes. I know. And there's, it's very small, but it's so impactful. And I would agree. It's very haunting. Just seeing that guy, this guy who we've seen the entire movie be very, very calm about the situation. Now, basically seeing him in action, killing somebody. Yeah. And this is almost like his forte or something because yeah. he's so calm. And when he's killing and he's just, it's like it relaxes him or something. You know, it does because then after they're both dead, he's like listening to music and he's like just moving his hand back and forth as the, the music's playing. The movement of the hand it mimics the movement of the baton. Right. How he's like this. Yes. Yeah. Ooh. Gosh, yeah. I, I, this scene I, I almost can't watch. This is this is just insane. watching him beat that and like that it's zoom an in scene. on him. As yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, uh, it's so, freaky, and it, and it's truly it's a truly eerie image of when they come up there and there's like all that like fog. Yeah, I don't know like where, they, why I, would there be fog. I don't know. Good question. I mean, I get they said that there was a couple of shots fired, but I don't think it would cause that much fog. Maybe if it was a musket. Maybe, but, but there was definitely muskets. not one of those. <laughs> but yeah, they, they, they see the elevator going doing up the floors, and they're like, what the crap is happening? And then um, they hear the shots, and it's moving down, so they go up to check it out. And yeah, I don't know what, what the fog. Where does that big light come from that's behind him? I don't know. For visual sake. Okay. How does that guy get up there? That's my question. Oh, yeah. He wouldn't be able to strung him up there. <laughs> Although it, we have all these issues, very well done, I would say. Yeah. It's super. It's really cool and really freaky just to see that imagery of the guy strung up with yeah. his intestines just like hanging out. Yes, but it's it's truly eerie when they're looking through the glass yeah. and the light behind them. It looks like it could be an angel. Yeah. And then when they open it, it's like, no, it's this. He's strung up with the flag and his bowels yeah. are hanging out and he's it's, been oh, ripped it's, apart and the music that it complements that scene when they reveal that body being hung there mm-hmm. oh it's just so well done and so freaky yes it's so scary and because it, yeah because you know we now we've seen what hannibal is really capable of right and i put in my notes did he transform him i would say maybe maybe Ooh, that's a good point yeah because these deal a lot with transformation i guess and what this also there's a a few deleted scenes where we see drawings that buffalo bill has done and it's women with butterfly wings or right, like half right. women half butterfly and that's what that looked like right he yeah, looked like yeah. that butterfly that had been transformed true yeah you're making a good point okay when the when pimbry quote-unquote pimbry is laying down and he's like that's pimbry talk to him for gosh sakes that mm-hmm. was funny yeah. Okay. Did that look like Pembry to you, or did that look like when he was laying down? Did that look like Anthony Hopkins? Well, I mean, he had the skin of the guy on his face. He did, but I'm almost—I I thought that doesn't really look like Pembry to me. That looked like Hopkins. I mean, it, it did not look like Pembry to me. I was just thinking maybe because his skin's off because his face, face, you know, and it's just over over Anthony Hopkins' face. But yeah, 
Honestly, I'm more of the question of wouldn't he, would he not realize that it, not only is there skin over the guy's face, maybe because it's just so scarred, maybe. I'd, I'd buy that it's just so scarred that he couldn't like, would make it out. But wouldn't he be able to realize that this is different, this is not, you know, Pembry at all? Yeah. That'd be my only thing. Oh, yeah. Thought. I thought the same thing. I'm like, yeah, I don't think it's very uh, realistic to cut off someone's face and then put it on yours and then make it look like 100% yeah. real. Yeah. Oh, something I thought was really funny is when the SWAT team jumps out and they're like all through them like, let's do this. Yeah, you ready? Okay, okay, let's go. Let's do this. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. But, okay, now we we get to switch a route. Did that throw you off the first time? The first time I watched it, I was like, no way. Yeah. That's what made this scene for me was the switcheroo, yes. the bait and switch. And then turns out that Pimbry was put on top of the elevator to loot the cops to think that it's, you know... That's Hannibal Lecter. He's in the ambulance going to the hospital. Yeah. And then he escapes that way. Yeah. And honestly, this feels like a climax to me. Yeah. But it's really... I, I, okay, I guess it's kind of Hannibal's climax, but we don't yes. have Buffalo Bill's and Starling's climax yet. Yeah, until later. It, yeah. It, it just seemed odd, though, because, like, okay, this kind of, like, is the end, right? And I'm like, no, because Starling is still going to go yeah. research with her friend and then go travel somewhere, which doesn't make any sense to me and then she finds him yeah so that was odd that it was kind of like the climax one then there's climax two like the false climax or something like that right right so um and i thought it was weird when she was talking with her friend her black friend and we get we get the close we we get the center shot close up and by this point i'm kind of tired of it and i'm kind of like okay we get it it's used constantly throughout Mm -hmm. the movie everybody gets their own we, well, we do get kind of one of Bill, but that's only night vision goggles at the end. Right, right. But I don't know. I But it made me feel uncomfortable, and I didn't it's, like it. <laughs> notice how it's always with her, though. It never happens with anybody else. It's always either uh, Sterling and someone else she's talking to. Right, which is, yeah, it's kind of like comes back to what I was saying in the beginning. It's like we're, we're in Starling's shoes. It's mm-hmm. almost first person that way. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? It made me feel... It sounds like they're doing some weird sisterhood chant, and I don't like it. When they're both, like, cross-legged on yeah. a machine yeah, or something, a table. It looks like, like a washing machine, It maybe. does look like a washing machine, but yeah. I wasn't sure. I was like, why would they be sitting up there? That's so bizarre. I don't, I don't know. And they're, like, looking at each other and, like, and that is what it is. Yeah, they're, like, they're like figuring we out the situation. We out. Yeah. yeah. put our hands together and say the chant. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. Yeah. Uh, okay, and it didn't make any sense. That didn't make any sense to me. I think this is kind of where the plot starts to break down, and there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense for me, because they're like, he covets with his eyes. <gasps> yeah. That's it. We, we figured it out. I'm like, what? Okay. That doesn't make any sense. I think maybe it's just the characters figuring it out, because... But I don't understand that at all. Yeah. It's... When I was watching it, I was kind of getting what they were saying. Um, essentially, they're like figuring out who Buffalo Bill is and stuff, you know? Like, they're pulling the clues that they got from Hannibal Lecter, and they're well, like... He, yeah, he says it's not... Ran- he's not... It's, like, what What does he say? It's... Un- unreasonably random or something like that? Or something like that. Wildly random, so much so that it's not, maybe? Yeah. Okay, but, like, I, I put in my notes, I don't quite understand the connection with what they made between the first girl, but the, it was the third one found... Right. ...and coveting. Uh, I just don't see the connection. I believe... All. Um, they, there's a throwaway line in the movie that she, the girl who was the last one found, the first one that got killed, 
That was his favorite they, one. They had, a, the they had a relationship. One. Yes. Yeah, they had some kind of connection. Yes, and that's where those pictures came from, is that they were seeing pictures, that he was, she was sending pictures to him. Oh, you think Bill took those pictures of her? No, 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 like, she was seeing those pictures of herself to him, so I'm saying. Well, but who would have taken those pictures then? That's also what I was wondering, too. Oh. They were very, they were very creepy, and I thought, oh, crap. Yeah. Is her dad, like, a pedophile or something? Right. But I don't think so, but, but she kept them? Maybe there, maybe there were ones that she was going to send to him. Maybe I, I noticed how uh, my I think the only thought I had is that, that not only is she like wearing just underwear, but then there's one shot of her like um, where she has her back to the camera, and it's like her whole back. You can see everything in, on her back, you know. Yeah, and, and we know that he likes you know earlier in the film when he first takes the girl when we see him take the uh, the senator's girl. That's true. He's like touching her back, and then yeah. later on the girl would we find in the lake if she has. You know, piece of back her back missing. If I'm, yeah, that's true. If I'm, and if I'm remembering correctly, this, this like those, those kind of like creepy pictures, which I hate mm-hmm. in movies. It just it was like super creepy. Yeah, I believe it's used in the girl with the dragon tattoo, except it's used much better and it makes more sense. Right. But that's and, that's what it made me think of. But and I'm I really have trouble with this. Right. Because she goes to the girl's home, and. She's looking around at things, and I'm like, are these, what am I supposed to be seeing here? Right, right. What is this supposed to be telling me? And I I'm, I put in my notes, okay, I don't understand things. She's looking at a lot of things like they're supposed to be important, but I don't get it. Right. I think she's more or less just looking for clues, and then she finds you know, the music the music box that has all the pictures in it. Yeah. And then she goes into the room across the hall and then sees the dress with the two halves or the two pieces like like kind of just like a pinned in the dress, and she says that um, the family that she was at, no, the the girl that was taken was like a seamstress. Like she would like make adjustments for dresses and stuff, and that was what clicked was seeing those those cutouts in the dress, mm-hmm. and then the um, cutouts on the body. Yeah. <laughs> so those that would be my only thought is that. Um, she came to this house, found out, you know, the connection between this girl and Buffalo Bill, and how they got to know each other, and how she was kidnapped. Um, but I, but I, but I feel like they're making a lot of inferences that the audience has to connect. And I'm yeah, not saying are. I want to be spoon fed, but I'm just saying maybe a bit more to give you something to think about. Uh, they could give me a little more to connect the dots because right. clearly Clarice is collecting the dots, but I'm not, and it's more important that I connect the dots. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, but but do you see what I mean? She's I, like I looking at stuff. Totally agree. She finds these creepy pictures, and that opens up a whole slew of questions for me. And then she like turns around, and she's like, oh, well, what could be in this bedroom? Right. And I'm like, why are you drawn to that bedroom? And then she's like looking out at the doves and the birds and the dad, and I don't understand that. And then she like opens up the closet, and it's like, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. It's the cutouts. Oh, that's why. Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you on this. It, it isn't really it. well explained. Which it's is more of a, it's more of a. I, it, we're kind of dipping into more of visual storytelling here. Yeah, which is a lot more harder to decipher than than just outright telling you. You know. But and this is disappointing for me because the film has done such an incredible yes job of providing situations and then getting the audience to engage in them and figure them out as a good mystery should. Mm-hmm. But then this, uh, I, 
Well, it really falls apart. Everyone. Do you do you think that maybe? Um, I'm I just I'm just throwing this out here. But do you think that maybe the film is kind of teaching us the way that he, the Hannibal Lecter, was teaching Clarice? Because when we first meet Clarice and Hannibal Lecter, it's all about the case of Buffalo Bill. And then the more that they talk, the more it becomes about Clarice. But every time they have a conversation, there's more to the story than what they're talking about. It's always visually telling us that, not only through dialogue, but also visually telling us that Hannibal is in charge of the situation. And I think as the movie goes along, it gets a bit more on the visual heavier stand standpoint yeah. than dialogue heavy. And so when it gets to the scene, when it's just between, when it's just Clary's walking around the house, it's only visual storytelling at this point. Yeah. And it's making the audience think about what does this mean? Like, why is she here? Why is she doing the things that she's doing? That was, that's really the only parallel I can pull between that. Yeah. And I'm sure you're right. But my own problem is Clarice gets answers. Like when she's operating with Hannibal, but I feel like I don't get answers. Right. I want those answers. Well, even, I well, even she had to think about it though, because she didn't. She didn't give him all the answers. Even even she had to sit down and think about it with her friend. Like, what is he really trying to say? And then yeah. she figures it out after talking well, to someone about it. Yeah, and she has to go talk to that girl with a really bad haircut. Yeah. At the drugstore or something. Yeah. Drugstore restaurant combo. Yeah, something like that. It's, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I said this rando girl's haircut is bad, yeah. and she's a bad actress. <laughs> yeah, but okay, and they and we when we find out that they've they believe they've found him. Yes, this is another issue I have. Okay, why are they flying in a giant Air Force plane? You don't have to answer that. I don't care. It doesn't make any sense. I would say <laughs> because they finally found Buffalo Bill, Pretty so much. they put everyone in the plane and got them there as fast as they could, you know, so they didn't have to rally anybody else. That would be my moment we thought. Oh, like the SWAT team or yeah, something? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say, if it's just them and no, they're no, no, no. flying in like this giant... When they when they go to infiltrate the house, there's a lot of people that are surrounding that, that property. But it's the wrong house right. that's vacant. Right. I, maybe if I go back and like really pay attention... Maybe if I turn on the commentary, the commentators th- would help. Yeah, I think... I don't know why. I don't... I think there was a line by um, Hannibal that maybe got him to figure out the address, but Sterling figured out that the address was different. I think that's what happens. Don't quote me on that, because I may be completely wrong about that. And I'm, guys, we watched this, like... It wasn't like we were playing on our phones or anything. No. So... And uh, uh, like we said, maybe if we go back and watch it again, it'll be explained I, better. I'm sure it is because this is this movie has a really tight script anyways. Yes. It, I mean, it did win best screenplay. Right. But I just feel like in this little chunk of the movie, it's it's kind of lacking in details. I would say it's asking more of its audience in this in these scenes because I feel like there's more than what there's more than what we're having well, issues with. Here's here's something that I, I'll say and maybe you'll disagree. Maybe you'll agree. I don't know. Yeah. But, and I almost feel like the false house is set up as a plot contrivance to throw us off. So it's like, all right, you purposefully just made a false house just to throw us off, right. you know. Right. Because that would be too easy if it was them to catch her. And right. it would be so unsatisfactory if it wasn't Clarice. I would agree, yeah. So that uh, may be a bit of a plot contrivance, you know, to right. throw off. Which it threw me off. It threw me off to first time, too. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, what? 
what the heck? Yeah, and then Clarice comes to the door, like, S- wait a minute. Scariest doorbell in the world. Yeah. It's like, like at a Dutch angle with, like, flashing lights. Yeah. Like, what yeah. the heck? Are we at the monster house over yeah. here? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Ugh. Yeah, threw me off. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. It's, like we've said multiple times in this in in this podcast, this is a film that benefits from multiple viewings. Yes. And, okay, when Claire Reese goes, when she talks to the friend, we learn that the first girl, she said sewing was her life. Yes. And they were, like, friends who, like, did lots of sewing and alterations or something, and Bill knows how to sew also, so maybe right. that's where they had a connection. And when yeah, she that, goes, where they have she yeah. says, um, she was doing alterations for Mrs. Lipman. Right. But I don't believe when she goes to Mrs. Lipman's house, she was expecting to find Buffalo Bill there. I don't I don't think so. Yeah. I think she was still following the clues because clearly Jack said, no, we know where his house is. We've got him. So when she goes there, I think it was just like, oh, you're here. You know, does that make sense? I can see the the wheels turning in your head and the thoughts formulating. I think I remember. Okay. No, she had letters from Buffalo Bill from his house. Didn't she? What? The girl? Uh, the girl that, the house she was in earlier when she like made that amazing connection. Weren't there, were there letters or at least the, the dad had the address or the house? Because they were, they were sending stuff back and forth. Maybe I'm imagining something. No. Okay. I, I thought there was it. something there. She knew about, she knew to go to Mrs. Lippman's house from talking right. with that girl in the drugstore. No, that's right. That's right. That's right. And she was yeah, doing alterations for her. And then I think it was kind of a coincidence but she maybe thought that Mrs. Lippman could provide her more information. Yes. Because she's like, she asked her Mrs. Lippman, and he's like, oh, Lippman's not living here anymore. Yes, you know? okay, that's right. Because she found out because of the girl in the drugstore, and she got the address from there, or at so least where the house was. Kind of stumbled upon Mrs. Lippman. Did Buffalo, maybe Buffalo Bill used Mrs. Lippman? No, yeah. Buffalo Bill, I believe, was, or yeah, I think he used Mrs. Lippman, if I was to guess. Yeah. To. Probably get close to that girl, maybe, and get yeah, that this house. Yeah, this does get kind of muddy, I would agree. It, it really does. Um, I'm more, honestly, I'm more concerned with the, the SWAT team and everybody else in the giant plane mm-hmm. where they're going and how they got that address. Yeah. That's really the only thing that I can, that I'm really having a, a big issue with here. I feel like there's more than movie that's that we're not thinking of that maybe we just didn't see the first few times mm-hmm. that's here. Whereas... The other people are like, why are they going there? Maybe there's something there that's there, that, you know, that's there too. That's also explained. We just miss. But I don't know. It, it does get really muddy here, I would say. Yeah. And then I would almost say that when she walks into uh, Bill's house. Yeah. It's almost like trying to make up for what it lacked, I felt, when she was looking around the girl's house. Because she's looking around at a lot of things that don't make sense to me that I guess aren't actually important, but I think are important. Right. It's super obvious and a little surprising that it panders that much to us when she's like standing there and then it's like uh, focuses on her and then all of a sudden it's like butterfly picture right next to her. Mm -hmm. And then she sees the thing flying around and we see like the sewing materials and it's like, do you see? This is him. Right. And yeah, at that point she's also starting to notice, like she notices like the sewing stuff and then the moth, and that's when she pulls all together. Oh crap! This is the guy, you know? and it is scary. Yes, when he's like, like just runs, grabs the gun, throws his hands up in the air, does that scary smile. Yeah, and she has to go into that basement. Yeah, like, oh crap! That's yeah. Scary. And one thing I did really like is it's something really small, really subtle. Is that um, she pulls all she's looking around the house, 
pulls her together who this guy is and she says freeze and goes to pull the gun out of the holster like she like before she's like okay this guy's kind of weird so she kind of like pulls back her jacket unclips the mm-hmm. uh you know the the holster she was suspicious yeah yeah and so then when she goes to pull out the gun from from the holster she like is like struggling to kind of get it out she like says freeze and then then pulls it, it out yeah, you know she's nervous yeah and you and she and definitely when she goes down the basement and you know the turn off she's like shaking and you can visually see her like holding the gun and she's mm. like her hands are shaking you know it's a good point um while she's trying to because you can't because there's not you can't see anything in that basement no and so well, she's like she's like stumbling around trying to find when he turns off the lights right yeah, yeah. that's what i'm saying when she when he turns off the lights and so she's like fumbling around trying to find her way you know and she's yeah. so very much is she this is where her like the amateur side of her training comes into play like big time here is that now she's completely out of her league mm-hmm. and she has no one to back her up she's on her own at this point yeah you're right and in the basement we see pictures of bill and with prostitutes Right. Did you see those? Uh, yeah. They those were, were weird. Yeah. So we, we know he's a deviant. Right. Or it's gross and weird. And honestly, I think it's kind of a miracle that Clarice doesn't get pushed into the pit. That he doesn't like just run up behind her and just right body slam her into that pit. You know, I'm like, dang, that's that's a gamble. Yeah. But and I would also say that Buffalo Bill may be, be smarter than we know. Because she has a gun, and if he were to like run in and then try to push her, she yeah. could probably get. She could probably shoot him before he got the chance to even get to the door. Yeah, you know, and to get to her. Plus, we also get the return of the night vision goggles, and yeah. he shuts off the lights. So I feel like Buffalo Bill was a lot smarter than um than what we than what we previously thought he was. Mm-hmm. But okay, I'm also really annoyed with Catherine. In this scene, the, oh, that's her name, Catherine. Yeah, that's your name. How? Well, we can't miss the Gosh, I feel a little bad about that, especially since <laughs> she was a prisoner in this movie. Yeah, but well, she's so defense, dang annoying. Yeah, she's calling her the F word and the B word. But I mean, to be honest, she wants to get out of there so bad. Like, I know. To her, and in her defense, she finally has someone that can is there to save her, and she is not going to save her until Bill is caught. Yeah, and so I could see why she's like. You stupid, and starts like yelling at her. I and stuff. know, but it's just almost like, hey, chill out. She's yeah, gotta kill this guy. You better be grateful. It is. Be grateful. I, I I agree. I agree. It is. It is kind of. Um, I would, I'd say maybe a bit overacting. Maybe. Yeah. But, um, I could see why she'd be reacting the way that she is. She's like freaking out because now she has to be stuck in there longer when someone's there that can save her. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I really tried to pay attention to Bill's basement and the different things in his basement. Yes. Well, it shows us more than once the layout of his basement, too. Yeah, which is oddly big with many rooms. Yes. It just didn't seem right. It was very creepy. Okay, he has mannequin parts and a fish tank. Right. Right? And this one was really important and interesting. He has a poster with a Nazi symbol. Yes. That says, America, open your eyes. Yes. And there's lots of talk about eyes in this. And... Okay, we is that would do you take that as Mrs. Lippman decomposing in that bathtub with all that sludge? That's and ooh, that's a good point. I never really thought about that. Now, yeah, do you probably, take that as Mrs. Lippman? I could definitely see it. What if it's his own mom? Maybe. Which would okay because I'm for, like for the movie's sake, I'd probably be more believing of Mrs. Lippman. Yes. Okay, I would too, but. Maybe he saw her as a mother figure. I don't know. But this also really drove home the parallel to Psycho. Right. Who she discovers decomposed right. in the basement. Yeah, and yeah. he wants to dress up like a woman, you know, and he's right. dressing up like Norman Bates is. I'm like, okay, they're really kind of 
drawing some from Psycho yes. and paying homage I, yeah, to Psycho yeah. in that way. Uh, except this is like Psycho on steroids with how like demented it is. It, like really goes really yeah, far. Yeah, definitely. Um, I really also like the shot of Bill in his night vision. Yeah, that is such a great shot with his yeah, night vision. Is that so close crazy. shot. And yeah, I mean, only one thing I can say about that is that where is the light coming from? Yeah, but I can dismiss that completely. They gotta give it to a little, and 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 that does throw me off a little bit when um, we see the lighting on him, and I'm like, well, if there's lighting on him, then why can't she see? But, right. Yeah, and I kind of forget that it would. She is literally pitch black. Yes, literally pitch black. Because when because the last thing we see before the lights go out is the person in the bathtub. Prefer most likely Mrs. Littman. It's like a it like zooms in on her and mm-hmm. the lights cut out and it's just black. Yeah, There's nothing. And then the next thing we see is um the night vision goggles turning on. And and it is weird that he won't shoot her at first. It's like he wants to touch her and everything. It's weird. Like he's I, like he like covets her so much or something that he like wants her and then he right. And my her. my thought is that maybe he wants her for like his next victim. Maybe sure. But oh oh okay maybe like. Maybe, like, none of the women satisfy him so far, and then he's like, oh, she's perfect. I'd be more like, maybe she could be the one, you know? Yeah, there's always that, like, un, he's always unsatisfied yeah. with everything. And he's like, oh, yeah. she's perfect, she's perfect. You know, he just mm-hmm. keeps going the point. Okay, well, I can see that now. Right. He's so lost in that. But but there are points when his hand is so close to her neck, I think, wouldn't you be able to at least feel the warmth? That's what I said. Of the hand, or at some point, wouldn't you be able to at least... You know, sense to, it yeah or at least be able to hear maybe even breathing or yeah you know yeah, you him would. walking around well i did that too i was like i have a hard time that she can't like kind of like sense him or like feel that so close to her right or breathing or something you know we have like a sense of something around us you yeah know? an right. animate thing not like like a wood desk or something you know right so that's a little a little hard. Oh, okay, I want to ask you: Does it feel a little bit anticlimactic anyway at all when she shoots him and it's all over, and they've been building up, building up, building up, and I don't know. There's just I don't feel like it's that great of a confrontation between them at the end. I feel like it's more of because honestly, it never it never bothered me the ending of this film. I feel like it ended in a really good way because. This is kind of getting to spoiler territory for Manhunter because when Buffalo Bill dies in Manhunter, it's kind of the same way. You mean when Tooth Fairy? Yeah. Okay. I mean Tooth Fairy, yeah. When the Tooth Fairy dies in Manhunter, it's kind of the same way. It's a very short scene of how they of how he goes down. I don't know. It's it, I never really found it to be... I, it never really um, made me think, oh, they could have done that better. I, I felt like it was fine the way that it was, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I can see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. It was pretty short. I feel that way a little bit. Not mm-hmm. a lot, but a little because it is short. It's quick. And I was like, all right, we've like been spending two hours right. getting to this. And they don't really have much of an exchange. And we just, I feel like we just don't also get enough of Bill's psyche. What's going on with him? And right. He's dead now, so we never know. Right. And we just get like little tidbits, like little hints of his basement or of his past or right. that. We just get right. a little yeah. bit. But that's a good point. Yeah, I, I, I like also when um she's talking to Lecter on the phone with their final conversation. That was kind of cool. Surprise. Yeah, yeah. And I like when he says, "The world's more interesting with you in it." I expect you to give me the same courtesy. Mm-hmm. There's that courtesy thing again. Yeah, and I feel like this is a perfect ending for Lecter. 
It, it is. Rory is a perfect ending in general because it shows him hang up the phone and then just walks off and joins the crowd and then he just disappears. Well, I don't know how crowd. you're going to feel about Hannibal then. Yeah. Because it's all about, it's like 10 years later or something. Yeah, yeah. well. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Um, and I really love his line. I'm having an old friend for dinner. Yeah, and then we perfect, see, and then we see Chilton meeting. coming off the plane. Yes. Yeah, and I love how he was waiting for Chilton. He yeah. knew where he was going. That just lends to he's like omnipresent, omnipresent. Yeah. He just knows everything. But I love when he's already waiting, and I will, I really like the closing music. Also, mm-hmm. it really works. And then the credits roll. And then at that point, once the credits roll, he's completely lost in the crowd. He's and he's basically out in the world now. You mm-hmm. know, he could be anywhere. Yeah. There are also, there was 20 minutes cut from this film, and I would say they are mostly all extraneous deleted scenes. They're just kind okay. of like extra pointless stuff. Right. Some are really cheesy, surprisingly. Really? We talked about how well acted and how well done this movie is. If you go back and watch that, I'm so glad they cut it out mm-hmm. because I'm like, dang, what happened? You guys, right. it, it is odd. It's like, it's like the first take and then the director's like, okay, do it like you mean it this time. So it, it's just really surprising. Weird. Um, okay, we learned that Bill wanted a close relationship with his mother, but she rejected him. Right. And that's it. That's all we get. We get a little more of Crawford about Lecter before prison. Okay. Talking about him before prison. Um, some of the dialogue is really bad. Also, and also some are just like really out of character. Right. I'm like, this is really out of character for Starling and Crawford in them. It's shocking. Yeah. Um, we learn she's going to give Lecter a fake deal. Before she does it. Um, oh my gosh, this scene is weird. We get a weird scene of Lecter in the cell in red lighting. And he's like weird. talking about uh, Bill and he's crying. Weird. Okay, we get... But we do... He is talking about more about Bill and about the houses and mm-hmm. Bill's psyche. So maybe that's worth checking out. Yeah. He says he wants to be reborn and he will be reborn. Mm. Okay, we also see Crawford go to Johns Hopkins Hospital and talk to the doctor about the transsexual patients, so that whole thing was cut out. Uh, this is really interesting. Crawford takes Starling off of the case and hmm. tells her to go back to school, and she's an inch away from being booted out. So there are... Okay, that's an interesting subplot that was yeah. cut out. We never knew that. Yeah. Okay, it's surprising, and it doesn't seem to go with the movie. Um, okay, we learned that Starling gets the drawings from the black prison guard, okay. Hannibal's drawings. Um Okay, we also see, you know, in the hospital van when Lecter's going to get that guy and it cuts away. Yeah. We see it driving like all crazy. Really? Yeah. And then uh, it's Lecter humming, laughing, and wiping blood off his face. It's really weird. What scene is that? What? What scene is that? Okay, he's like, the the hospital van is swerving in the tunnel. And then he like gets in there. He's like, la, la, la. Yeah. It just seems really weird. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also quite a few F words used in these scenes. Weird. Which there's only like a one or two in the movie. Yeah. Um, okay. Starling also. This one's really kind of interesting and confusing. Starling says one of the killings may have not been intended. Like maybe that first killing, like Bill had to do it, or it was on an accident, or yeah. something. So that lends a different light to it. Um, right. Also, the director of the FBI takes Starling off of the case. Hmm. And he's. Um, Oh, and I like I like Starling's line when she says, "Not a single woman is hunting him except me," because right. he's hunting women. She's she's one right. of you. Um, also, this is interesting because Starling is taken off of the case, but Crawford tells Starling to go rogue and go to Belvedere, Ohio, 
and he gives her like three hundred dollars in cash. She's like, "Get on a plane, yeah. go row, go finish the case." Weird. Um, <clears throat> we see they some really of, wanted that. They really wanted that that dynamic of her getting kicked off the case to be in the movie. I, I take it because you know you said both Crawford and the director wanted to kick her off in some of these deleted scenes. Yeah, but they took it out of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's interesting they did that. Um, I also can, see. Honestly, I I like that they took it out. Mm-hmm. I did too. Yep. Um. Some heavy-handed... There's some really heavy-handed symbolism. Is there? Yeah. Um, we see some more of Bill's drawings. Mm-hmm. We get alternate Hector dialogue at the end where he says, For you, there will always be other lambs on other nights. Mm. Um, Lecter says, I shiver every time I hear about these poor girls. Right. Something like that. So that's different. Um, so those are the deleted scenes. There's some other special features I really would have liked to have watched but i just didn't get the opportunity right so oh and the other thing that i was going to mention is we don't get much about bill's psyche but we do see um it made me think of insidious 2 mm-hmm. the relationship between the mother wanting she abused her son in insidious 2 and wanted him to be a girl right so listeners go check out insidious 2 maybe if you want to see how that see the works. first one first though yeah you won't understand second <laughs> yeah <laughs> but we have talked for a while two and a half hours guys this is a huge super long review so part of it is because our fault we were the ones who were like let's talk about sterling and uh lector let's analyze the the movie why don't we sit here and talk for the length of the movie about (laughs) hannibal and and sterling i think yeah i think we talked longer than the actual movie yeah the movie's like two hours long i think it's probably about two hours that's funny so I really don't think we need to give any kind of wrap-up thoughts. Yeah, I mean, really, maybe just... Maybe, I would say just maybe an overview of what we really thought about the movie just as a whole. Yeah. We've basically said everything we needed to we, say. We've really you know? said everything, I guess, just generally, just really quickly. Yeah. This movie, it's very strong. The dynamics between characters is very strong. Those are the positives. I will say the negatives for me are kind of the lack of learning about Bill's character and maybe his past and his psyche. There is some parts that really fall apart for me in the third act that I wish would have been kind of structured better, put together better. Otherwise, this film is awesome. Yeah. Gosh, this movie is insane. Um, For me, definitely the cinematography and just the relationships that this movie builds in general are just what makes this movie so amazing. I mean, we talk about this forever, and the relationship between Lecter and Sterling is so well done, and pulls so many parallels from different parts of the movie and the char- both characters in general that it's just it's so good. And I think that's probably my fa- most favorite part of this movie is the relationship between these two characters. I would say I would agree with you on that third act part. It does get a little bit muddy. I feel like there's more to it than what you know we were seeing, even though we've seen this movie more than one time, and. Definitely, if you can, if you have the chance to watch this movie, definitely watch it because it is incredible. This, I was at the warn that this movie is rather disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not for the faint of heart. It's no. not for someone who's easily offended or upset or disturbed. So this is for someone who wants a solid story, solid psyche backgrounds of delving into twisted minds and whatnot with a great, yeah. great criminal story, but. Yeah. And if you like to think, you will love the crap out of this movie. This movie yeah. really makes you think, especially if you want to like 
really get like nails deep into what the story is all about. It gets it gets very deep. It really does. So, Alan, what is your what is your rating? What do you rate this? The Silence of the Lambs. When I first saw this movie, I was like, "This was good," so I gave it a seven. <gasps> but now I'm oh after watching. I know, but after watching it now for a second and third time, I'm giving this movie a nine. Oh, the only reasons were my reasons I said before. I just there's some information I don't feel like I have completely grasped yet, and maybe my maybe my rating would change over time after I've seen this movie, maybe a couple more times. With a very very high recommend. And I'm 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 giving it the exact same rating I give The Silence of the Lambs. Nine stars out of ten. This film receives a very high recommendation from me. It's I'm gonna go it's probably the best out of the Lecter franchise. Clearly to me it's superior than Manhunter, because yeah, I don't I, care for Manhunter at all. I, I would agree with that. Is Manhunter, as much as I did like it, it was pretty slow. Um no, Corbin couldn't really take the, the slowness of it. But, I mean, no. uh, this one definitely, I feel like it's just deeper than than Manhunter is. It knows how to flow better, too. Yeah. Manhunter, it takes its time. It's, it's I'd say it pulls a lot more from, like, investigation movies mm-hmm. than this one is. This one, although it is a police investigation story, it doesn't feel like it, right. which I like a lot. No, it, it's very unique in its yes. approach. So we want to thank you so much for sticking with us on this very long review. But we felt that this film, uh, five-time Academy Award winner, just huge, iconic film, deserved this kind of time to uh, dissect it and discuss the deep complexities of this movie. I'm just going to say it. uh, Our review next time won't be this long. (laughs) So (laughs) at least for me... um, I do want you listeners to join us next time, though, for our review of Hannibal, which was directed by Ridley Scott, came out in 2001. It came out 10 years, a decade, after The Silence of the Lambs, and we see a complete recasting except for Anthony Hopkins' character, but we'll be back next time to at least discuss part of it. Um, We'll see how that goes, but we want to thank you again for joining us on this very lengthy podcast and we hope you're enjoying this Hannibal Lecter retrospective series until next time.